Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning into this episode, even though you probably see it's over two and a half hours long. Uh, we really didn't anticipate it going for as long as it did, but we had a really great discussion with Bruce over at Ethics Archery. Uh, Bruce pulls back the curtain for us and announces a couple of products that Ethics has been working on, and let me tell you guys, it's worth the wait. Uh, Bruce and Ethics were also gracious enough to do a giveaway for our listeners, and we're really, really thankful for that. Uh, you might notice there's a kind of a glitch at the hour and like 11 minute mark. Uh, it's not your computer. It was us. But don't worry, you didn't miss any of the conversation. We, we got it patched up as good as we could. So once again, sorry this episode is so long. Not really. But I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. So as always, stay lethal. but i was just saying uh what what have you guys done this week anything uh um well um we'll talk about it in a minute but uh well i went turkey hunting last weekend uh down down my farm it's still i think just a little early for the birds to be real fired up right now uh, at least where i'm at they would they gobble off the they gobble on the roost but once they flew down they weren't saying anything so yeah. uh got to got to hunt last weekend and uh it looks like i will be rebuilding a couple arrows here which we'll talk about <laughs> later uh but i'm gonna try and rebuild some and then uh take uh take these new toys turkey hunting this weekend at a local farm that i have access to so uh, i'll be building some arrows and then hunting again since it's turkey season so uh, actually I'm going to, I'm going to try and sneak down. I have a, I have a new contract I'm starting on, so I don't know like what time their morning meetings are, but if they're after nine o'clock, then I'm going to hunt like every day the rest of this week, uh, at least in the morning and then sneak into work later. Nice. They'll be okay. They'll, they'll be fine without me for a couple <laughs> hours. So. There you go. Yeah. What about you, Garrett? You've been sick as a dog apparently, but, uh, been kind of sick since Friday, but. Before that, I like during the week I was shooting my new bow, making sure everything was sighted in. I'm testing out the the option six sight, which is the mm-hmm. equalizer guy's sight. Yeah. And it's cool, except like the so it's got five fixed pins and then one dial pin. Right. But the housing doesn't move. So I'm pretty limited on range, even though I'm mm-hmm. only shooting like a four hundred and 40 grain arrow i think for 3d i'm still limited to like 88 yards or something which i'm not too thrilled about Hmm. but so i don't know it might get put up on the chopping block here yeah here's kind of i don't maybe this is a ridiculous question but how do you like the oval housing with a circular peep because that Um, would drive me nuts mine just has mine has the round housing so Yours around, okay. Yeah, oh, okay. The, every, the, I, the S version, I, I think. So it's the round one. Gotcha. Yeah, I've seen the oval housing in some of the option sites. I, I thought it was all of them. I guess just some. Mm-hmm. And and I've like every time I've looked at, it, I've been like, that would drive me nuts trying to center that up with my peep. Mm-hmm. But I mean, for maybe. me, like I've always not always, but like there's been quite a few times where my housing and sight didn't match up like they're not the exact same size so i just line up either the bottom curve with the bottom curve of the high the housing or the top of the top so like yeah all depends on what you're comfortable with lining up your peep yeah 
I've always had a smaller housing, so I've I normally run a small peep, and my housing is run or my side is one run pretty far out front. So mm-hmm. I've always tried to tried to match it like as perfectly as I can. But uh, yeah, I know some people. Some people just don't. They just make it. I make just it work like a, I'm just. I usually shoot like a. I think I just shoot like a three sixteenths peep or whatever, and just that's the size of peep I like. No. So that's what I shoot on everything. Mm-hmm. You do shoot a three sixteenths because I had to. After I bought your bow, I had to swap that out for an eighth inch peep to fit my housing. Yep. I'm lazy and it doesn't really affect me all that much. So, yeah, that's fair. What about you, Bruce? Do you have you uh, have you done anything archery related this week? Oh, I'm always doing something archery related, man. <laughs> I figured. <laughs> yeah, we've been we've been hard at it over here, man. Ethics archery. Yeah. Um, it's for me it's 365 days a year and as many of the customers know it's damn near 24 hours a day (laughs) yeah but um as far as you know hunting or anything like that we did just come back uh went out to nebraska and filmed an episode with uh bone cold tv and uh for their ethics archery episode that they did and Mm -hmm. uh that was a heck of a good time man uh we had we had a blast uh I unfortunately uh, have a new nickname. Uh, I'd rather, I don't really know if I want to share that or not, but uh, <laughs> call me the barber. Well, if, if yeah. you feel like sharing, we, we will allow it. They're calling me the barber now. Um, the, the barber. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I cut a lot of, of hair. <laughs> I cut a lot of hair over the last week. From guys or shaving hair off of turkeys? Shaving hair off of turkeys. Um, <laughs> uh, it was my dang. first, you know, I, I've never actually targeted turkeys, uh, never yeah. hunted them. Yeah. Um, I did one I time, turkeys. but that's a long story we won't get into, uh, where I harvested <laughs> a turkey. Um, but this is the first time I've actually went out with calls and, and that was the primary target. And, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I had a lot of learning to do and that's kind of what I really wanted to look forward to this hunt. Uh, I was working with, with Brandon Scott, his brother, Bradley Scott, man, those guys, those guys are some turkey hunt fools, man. They uh, they got some skills, let me tell you. And uh, yeah, well, that's uh, tur- turkeys are uh, they're they're switchy little dudes. They you are. Gotta, you, you have to you have to know what you're doing to bow hunt them for sure. Yeah, and it's you know you can shoot a 3D turkey all day, you know. Um, yeah, kind of what I do. It's 3D <laughs> with competition and stuff, but they're standing still. And they don't move when you're shooting threes yep. and uh, you yep. get out in the woods and it doesn't seem like they ever stop. And if you don't have target panic, take your bow out in the woods and try to shoot turkey. Yeah. Cause it'll get <laughs> no, the target it's, panic. Uh, <laughs> it's very, very true. They are, they're kind of, I hey, granted that when, when we, when we went hog, hog hunting, I didn't even see one, but from what I understand, they're kind of similar to hogs and the fact they just like never really stop moving oh, yeah. around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, the I was, issue the issue with 3d turkeys is the vitals is in the wrong spot. It is. Yeah. Uh, and that's what vitals seem to be like further up. And it, yeah. The vitals seem to be further up into the, like towards the head uh, yeah. or towards the chest from where they are on the, on 3d targets. So, well, put it this uh, way. I, uh, I 12 ring two turkeys while I was there and yeah. they 12 ringed them, but they didn't die. Yep. Yeah. yeah it's uh, <laughs> the old saying with uh, with bow hunting turkeys is uh, hit them high and watch them die. Hit them low and watch them go. That's and, exactly uh, what happened both times. It's yeah. True. Yep. Hit them. Hit them a little too low. You'll just catch that breast and 
Mm-hmm. They'll just walk off. They'll be sore. Uh, uh, you know, they may not fly off, but uh, they'll be they'll be sore as hell. But they'll live. They'll, I watched both live. turkeys a day and a half later on the neighboring farm, which we had access to, but they were too mm-hmm. far out in the middle of the field. We watched both of them hopping around out there like they were on pogo sticks. Yep, day and a half later, yep. so they're fine. But uh, good, yeah, it's rough, man. Yeah, and just and I know the mo- the majority of the listener base here. I'm just gonna go ahead and. <sighs> get it let the cat out of the bag um if you guys happen to watch that episode yes i'm shooting a mechanical (laughs) i know i know (laughs) i told brandon you know they're a tog company you know so uh Mm -hmm. and um their primary sponsors you know the majority of what they do is is mechanicals and i figured I, I built a, spe- a specific build. It was with a Sirius 250 yep. and the new uh, outsert system that we designed for the standard diameter shaft. And I, I got that in 150 grain uh, with a 100 grain head. And I, I, I was taking a 606 grain arrow after turkeys. So I wasn't really worried about the penetration yep. factor. And um, so yeah. I told them because <laughs> yeah, right. of their show, I'd go ahead and shoot one of their sponsor broadheads kind of help out uh we're going back there for a deer hunt in the fall and i've already explained to them that's not happening when we go after deer (laughs) there you go yeah um cool well if uh if our guests haven't figured out by now we're uh we're hanging out tonight with uh bruce ritter clark aka big hoss from uh, ethics archery he's kind enough to join us tonight hang out we got a got a lot of stuff to talk about and uh just about Bruce and ethics and uh, also a lot of things to reveal that uh, uh, we are we're all very excited about. And frankly, the archery industry should be excited about. So um, tell us about the like origin of ethics. This is actually a story I don't I don't know much about. Uh, uh, I I know I know a little bit about the history of the company, but just tell us about uh, about the origin of ethics and how it how it all got started. Okay, well, um Ethics archery's roots begin um, in traditional archery. So about 16 years ago, um, the owner, Scott Gazowski, and his brother, Jerome, got together. And Jerome has been a big trad archer for a long time. And they got together and they were trying to come up with, first off, they started uh, where they were going to actually be a bow manufacturer, believe it or not. And they originally started there, and um, as far as I know, um, it didn't really, it didn't really take off. They didn't. Uh, they decided not to launch anything um, because they got into right. a side project, and that's what started with the spinning insert thing. Um, and they just kind of started focusing on that, mm-hmm. kind of transformed into a component thing. Um, so traditional archery is where our roots are. Um, it took off with the with the spinning inserts. They kind of focused on that and began that uh, right. Began that venture, um, and then from there, it just kind of grew. Um, and now we're kind of trying to get back into that. We're trying to get back to our roots, and hence the reason why we're having this podcast. And we'll get into that product here shortly. What is your background? How'd you get? involved with ethics i know that like you know you guys like i've seen i had seen the ethics stuff and then all of a sudden i just saw you everywhere so yeah well it was funny i was actually um i compete on the national asa circuit and 
I was out at a tournament and I found a, a busted arrow by a uh, by a target. You could tell somebody just took it over their knee and snapped it. And uh, oh. I picked it up and I was going to put it in the in the trash bin. And uh, the front of it kept like rattling like there was a loose field point. And I kept reaching down to, to tighten the field point and it wouldn't tighten. I'm like, what in the heck is going on? Maybe that's why they broke the arrow, right? Something mm. was busted. And I saw that spinning insert on there. And I ended up taking that half of it with me, trying to figure out what it was and did a bunch of research. It took me about a week. And I found Scott, called him up and was like, what in the heck is this thing? Just me being curious. And uh, he explained it to me. Right. And, you know, I I own a transport company, so I'm, I, I drive the lower 48 and I travel for a living. And uh, I happened to be going to North Carolina, so he invited me over. And I went over there and talked with him. He showed me the, the shop and the product and explained it to me. And uh, I got some from him and began playing with him. And uh, one thing led to another. He wanted me to come in and kind of help him out promoting these things and, and just kind of getting getting the word out there. And I started doing that for a little while. And uh, it just kind of grew from there. I ended up becoming the sales manager. Um, and then fast forward to now i'm now part owner of the company so it's been a, cool it's been a ride nice. man how how long ago did scott start the company how old is ethics i don't even know <laughs> so from when they very first started i want to say it was 2000 if i'm not mistaken i believe it was 2008 oh wow when they 11, started 10 11 years old now yeah um oh, yeah. when the company actually started they've yeah. been working yeah. on stuff for almost 16 years as far as i understand Jeez. yeah so, but it's really just ramped up. Yeah, it's really just ramped up in the last, you know, four or five years. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the last three, four years, it's it's really kind of settled in and, and grabbed hold of mm-hmm. a, a good chunk of the, the hunting industry for sure. Um, yep. So speaking of hunting, uh, we know that you just went on that turkey hunt, but, uh, you know, growing up, what were you doing? Um, what do you, what's your favorite thing to hunt now? What are you maybe hoping to hunt in the future? Well, so I grew up in, uh, Arizona out in the deserts, uh, in Apache Junction, oh. Arizona. Yeah. Unit 24 B was literally my backyard. I could walk out the back door and I'm standing in 24 B, which is predominantly most people consider that a rifle unit just because of the layout of the land. Right. Um, I used to shoot long range competitions when I was young with a, with a rifle. Um, so mm-hmm. distance shooting was really nothing for me. Um, and I picked up a bow and I was instantly hooked with a bow. And up until this past season, um, I'd actually never taken a firearm after a big game animal. Um, this last season was the first time hmm. I'd done that. And, uh, the reason why I did that was because everybody always asked me, well, why do you just prefer to hunt with a, uh, a bow? And I've always said, well, I just prefer it. Right. It's just what I like to do. Yeah. But how can you prefer something if you've never done both? Sure. Yeah. That's know, I, yeah. yeah. So I said, I, I forced myself and I said, okay, I'm going to go shoot one with a gun and, and see what it's all about. And yeah, I prefer to hunt with a bow, <laughs> but I, now I can look people in the face and tell them with certainty. Right. But, uh, yeah. out there I grew up spot and stock mule deer. Um, that's kind of my forte. Um, getting to the top of the yep. tallest glassing knob and spending a lot of time behind 
behind glass, man. And uh, that's what I love to do. Um, I've just recently started hunting whitetails about four years ago because uh, we don't have them out there. Closest thing we got is a uh, yep. coos deer. And uh, they call yeah. them a gray ghost. The ever elusive coos deer. Yeah, we call them yeah. a gray ghost for a reason. I still have not killed yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, I've heard, I've heard they're the hardest deer to kill out of any of them, like by a mile. It's not I'm, even close. I'm going to tell you, man, I've literally walked past them 10 yards away. And they blow out of there and scare the ever-loving dog crap out of you because you don't see them. Man, I bet. That's how blacktail are, too. They'll mm-hmm. let you walk past them, and then they'll they'll run away. They're yeah, like, oh, crazy. very cool. Bye. <laughs> and they're see tiny. They're so small, you know? You get used yeah. to looking at that mule deer body, and then all of a sudden you, you convert over and you start looking for coos deer. Because in Arizona, when you buy a deer tag, you can shoot any antler deer. So it can be a coos or a mule deer. It doesn't matter. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, so whatever you kind of run into, you can you can chase. But yeah, I'm not chasing coos deer, man. Uh, it, maybe maybe in the future I'll get a chance to do that. But I love doing it. Um, unfortunately, I live in one of the best states in the in the country for elk. Um, but it's all draw only there, and I to this day yeah. have not drawn a tag in my home state of Arizona. So. Jeez. Yeah, I was able Man. to. I finally went on my first elk hunt last year in Colorado. Didn't end up killing an elk, but I did kill a bear, which was pretty, yeah. pretty intense. Man, I know right. I've seen. Right, I guess right, right now, uh, you know, I'm not overly familiar with Western hunting, but it seems that this month is when all the draw results are starting to come out for, uh, for elk or for all the fall seasons. Yep. And uh, you know, I see a lot of guys talking about Arizona, and it's like, oh. Didn't draw again, 15th year in a row. Yeah, I'm and, at 13 uh, now. Jeez, yep. that's that's just crazy to me. As a resident. I, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. God, yeah, you get preference too over non-resident, I would guess, right? Well, they try to tell you that. I'm kind of finding it hard to believe. I mean, I got <laughs> buddies in our hunting party because there's about five or six of us that we all hunt together. And um, mm-hmm. those guys seem to get drawn, out of five years, they'll get drawn three. I, mm. I don't get it. And I can't seem to draw a tag. They've all put in every, every last one of them is buddied up, and, and we've gone on a group where you can get mm-hmm. five guys put in on one. We've done that twice now, and both times we did it, nobody got drawn. Man. Jeez, it's <laughs> rough. I'm starting to think because yeah. I was on the tag. Yeah, you're <laughs> the you're the bad juju. They yeah, say next, next time they they apply for that group tag, Bruce can't be a part of that. That's kind of the consensus now. <laughs> um so that, that's cool so and, and you start whitetail hunting which is obviously the the big you know that's it's the most popular north american game uh, that's out there so uh so boring man, i feel so bad a whole for you guys ball game, man. <laughs> it is it's like a very different boring. ball game for me it's uh, not a ball it's not boring to me because i'm learning everything for the most part on my own uh last year i was actually uh one of my he's actually on staff now but he's a uh i met him out on the on the pro circuit out there for asa uh adam gibson and um you know became real good friends with him and we uh we started hunting his property he's got seven farms out here in indiana and he kind of took me out there and has been helping me kind of hone what I've read and what I've learned and start putting it into, into perspective on the ground and, and converting book knowledge to real world knowledge. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's, mm-hmm. 
been pretty incredible. I've seen some incredible things this last season. Yeah. That's so, it, it, yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, I know this is kind of like a uh, uh, like an elementary question for for us, uh, but can you tell the listeners the difference between? Uh, well, um, well, I know. God, maybe we should talk exact. Oh, you talked about the spinning inserts, but uh, ethics mostly makes, uh, uh, among other things, we're going to talk about a little bit later. Uh, um, components for arrows, uh, and inserts and other things, field points. Uh, but what most. I, I just want to break down for our listeners, man. This has been like the worst transition ever. My God. Um, I want to, I want to break down for our listeners, uh, the difference between what you get when you purchase, uh, like an ethics, uh, component versus a stock component that comes with the arrows that you buy. Because I know that's something that, uh, guys that are getting into arrow building, like I've had, I've introduced two of my buddies to, uh, uh, to bow hunting in the last couple of years and, you know, they went out and bought arrows and they're like, oh, great. Like now this is like now we can build them like, nope, you're going to take those stock components and you're going to throw them in the trash. And this is what we're going to buy. <laughs> and uh, so <laughs> I want you to yeah, because you probably explain a lot better than I do. Uh, well, obviously, after that last transition, uh, um, that t- tell us about the differences and, and like really what the uh, what you're getting when you buy ethics components. OK, so I like to start first by telling people when you go to your local pro shop or you're going to a box store, or you're going online ordering directly from the manufacturer. When it comes to arrows, you have to understand that arrow companies are just that. Their primary product is an arrow shaft. Okay, They're not component yep. companies. So the majority of your arrow companies are going to hone in on the shaft, and there has to be something that comes with it in order to attach a field point or a broadhead, right? can't yep. shoot it without it um so they're they're not putting the time effort and money into a quality component they're typically getting that from the cheapest bidder um most of the time that's that's china right so yep. they're getting it at, at pennies on the dollar because they have to include something right if so when you come to a third party company like us at ethics archery that's all we do is components we don't do arrow shafts we don't do none of that stuff we are a component company. So our primary focus goes into not only the materials being used, but the quality of the materials and where they come from is very important to us. Uh, we use all American made steel. Uh, that's important, especially being a veteran owned company. Uh, we are hundred percent American made and we pride ourselves on that. So you talk about quality of materials and then you're also talking about tolerances. Um, you know, you take something that's mass produced, uh, um, like a field point, and if you ever put them on, mm-hmm. a field, it's it's almost a joke, and it's not. That's not all bad. all over the place. Yeah, they're all over the place. To to, to be to be nice about it. Yeah, and that's just a fact. Okay, that's not right. running our yeah. mouths or nothing like that. But we we focus on tolerances. So when you buy a product from us, you can ensure that you're getting the best quality materials. Um, you know, high quality aluminums, high quality stainless steels. Um, the tolerances are going to be in spec. So when you pick up a hundred grain broadhead and you pick up a hundred grain field point, you expect them to weigh the same, right? Um, right. Generally, um, with us, you would expect that you can assure with us, 
when we get it, when you buy a component and it's supposed to be a hundred grains, it's a hundred grains. It's not going to be all over the place. And yeah. um, those are kind of the, the, the short of, of what you're getting when you go with an actual component company is you're getting quality and you're getting tolerances where they're supposed to be. You're getting what, what it says on the package. Yep. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, I know that is, that has certainly been, uh, been my experience in the couple well i've probably i've probably built around five dozen arrows for friends and family for with ethics components and i literally don't think i've had a single component that has been more than or well no i have not had a single one that has been more than a grain out of spec Mm -hmm. which is saying something actually i'm pretty sure i haven't had one that's been more than uh half a grain out of spec that's uh, right. which I mean, yeah, <laughs> uh, we, claim our tolerances. Uh, we, we claim our tolerances within a half a grain plus or minus of what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's, you know, I, when I was when I started getting serious about building arrows, it'd be, you know, OK, let me let me line up all my arrow shafts and weigh them. And now let me line up all my components and weigh them and try and get it as close to, you know, get them to match up as, as close as I could. But I don't I did. I haven't had to do any of that with ethics stuff because it's a, it's all been so close that there is no point in trying to trying to make it more perfect than it already is. Um, I was just going to say that that's one thing. I mean, I've, I don't know how many setups I've built at this point using ethics components. Um, I mean, Dozens. I've been, I've been dealing with you guys for two and a half, three years at least. Um, and yeah, it's, it takes a lot of the extra workout when you're confident in the components. Yep. When you're yep. confident that everything is going to line up well, it's going to square up well, it's going to be intolerance, and you know it, it takes a lot of that guesswork out. And it's you know from a d- dealer side of things, it's just cleaner. It, it's it's simple. And it takes a lot of the the extra work out of the picture. Yeah, and then, you know that's what our goal is. Um, and Rob, you dealt with us long enough. You know exactly the kind of company we are. You know when you when you deal with a company that actually listens to its customers, not just the dealers, but works hand in hand with the dealers, but also just its everyday customers and the consumer. You know when we get feedback, we want we want to hear it all: good, bad, ugly. We got to hear it all because if there's a, if there's a problem with something or something that can be better and we don't know about it, we don't hear about it, we can't fix it. And I think that the majority of people who have dealt with with us as a company have have seen that you know we we try to listen to to what's going on out there in the feedback and, and make those adjustments accordingly. And that's another quality that you're going to get when you deal with a component company, um, somebody who takes pride in what they do and they only focus on that one type of product because there's no way to advance the industry and advance the quality without actually listening to people. And, uh, you know, we, we definitely try to do that. And when you, when you have confidence, like Rob said, in, in a component system, when you're trying to build your own setup, uh, whether it be a dealer or a consumer, you're not having to do what you said, Matt, you know, match your arrow shafts, weigh them out. And then each individual component to get where you need to be, you, you right. have faith in that. And uh, it takes a lot of time and a lot of guesswork out. And let's be honest, you know, especially for the guy that builds his own stuff, archery is 90% mental, 10% physical. 
And confidence is an absolute key factor. And when you have confidence in every aspect of the of your, your build, whether it be your arrow or something to do with your bow, whatever the case may be, your entire setup, when you have the confidence, it definitely makes you a better archer. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 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 That's, I, I've made that comment before where, you know, I've had a lot of guys come to me after failures uh, whether it was a component failure or a shaft failure or a shot placement where, you know, they failed to breach bone and, you know, you, you work through everything with them, you get them into something that they, you know, regains their confidence that they've, they've got a level of insurance in their head that kind of takes some of that pressure off. And now they're not as stressed about it. Now they're not focusing on that shoulder or focusing on where they don't want to hit because what happens if you focus on that spot that's where you hit and so now you're confident and now you don't hit it (laughs) and now it truly is a plan b where it's something out of your control that happens and now you're prepared for it yep yep absolutely so kind of on that topic i guess um I mean, what's the, and Bruce, I know that we've kind of discussed this before, but what's the kind of mission statement? What's the goal of ethics archery for, you know, the industry as a whole? Well, it's kind of in two parts. So me having a background in competitive archery, um, it's kind of funny. You talk to competitive archers and we're all known for, um, being kind of anal retentive when it comes to our equipment, you know, when you, you talk to a, uh, yep. most hunters, when they talk to a, a target guy and the target guy's like, yeah, I have a dozen shafts that are within one grain of each other in overall weight. Mm-hmm. Most hunters look at you like, why? Well, <laughs> I think that's kind of funny we're shooting for score, right? And we're shooting either paper or foam. Well, if I hit wrong, on paper or foam, what's the consequence? It's yeah, there is none. Paper or foam in the wrong spot and a lower score. There's no real world consequence for that, right? But the hunter, the guy that's used to shooting at a quote unquote pie plate, eight inch pie plate, if I'm in there, I'm good, and not really paying attention to being that precise. There's real consequences for that. You know, yeah, uh, absolutely. Got a wounded animal, a suffering animal. That that's a real world consequence, man. None of us want that. So what we're trying to do is bring that target quality and mentality and bring it into the hunting world where it belongs. And so that's one aspect of it. Um, another aspect of ethics archery and where we're going and kind of where we want to be. I'm gonna be honest, man. We're trying to become a household name. Um, we're trying to we're trying to take the the industry, the component side of the industry, um, by storm. I mean, that's what we really want to do because we, we, we pride ourselves on quality and durability and those are our main focuses. And I think that's kind of gotten away. There's gone to the wayside in the industry, because let's be honest, the component, if you take the industry as a whole is probably the most overlooked portion or part of anybody's entire setup. Most guys don't even totally know what inserts made yeah. of, let alone what it weighs. Yep. And yep. Yeah, totally agree. Business, and it might be biased because this is what we do, right? But I think it's true. 
that the component is the foundation of the entire arrow build. You can have a $500 broadhead on the front. It could literally be the best broadhead on the planet. You could have the best arrow on the planet, period. If you have a bad component and that component fails when it hits an animal and it bends or breaks, penetration stops. It doesn't matter what you have built at that point. Yep. So it's the glue and the foundation that holds everything together, and yet it's the most overlooked, and we're trying to change that. Yeah, and that's one where, I mean, it's an arrow system as a whole where you can have, I mean, depending on how you set up, you can have a mediocre shaft, you can have a mediocre broadhead, but if you reinforce it with good components, it can still handle a fair amount of stress. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you, like you said, if you have the best of both worlds, but you don't have that component, now all that force is improperly transferring to the shaft, and it's more than likely going to fail right behind that component or or in the component i mean that's where the the high majority of failures occur right and that's one thing that i that you've mentioned to me before bruce that i guess i just want to mention is you've repeated this to me is you guys are there to improve the industry you're not there to to replicate something else. You're there to take something that there's a known issue with or a potential issue with and go how can we improve this and then bring it bring it to life. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean yep. and that's the part that I think is great is you're not you know, just another component. You're not just another, uh, you know, of the same mold with a different package. Right. It's you're, you're looking at problems and you're, you're trying to provide solutions. Yep. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're just trying to make it better. Yep, exactly. Well, I really like the way that, uh, that I've I've seen Grizzly Stick post about it a couple times, and I agree the component is or the the component system, the insert outsert, whatever you want to end up using. We're going to cover that, I believe here in just a minute or two. Uh, is is very important, uh, and you know you you could have a media a, a less than desirable broadhead that can be reinforced by that uh, uh, by the components behind it. Uh, but I, I like the way Grizzly Stick has talked about it in the sense that they talk about like everything up front being a, the slug. Like, what yes. does your slug yep. look like? Yep. And uh, and ta- and that's <laughs> I maybe, uh, I, you know, I was a little late to the uh, heavier arrow high FOC scene, but I had never I had never seen the term total arrow weight used before or T.A.W. used before. <laughs> You're so popular, Bruce. Yeah, I'm uh, turn that off. <laughs> you're fine uh i had never seen that term used before uh i but then it made sense because and they were like six like you know they would talk about these weights and i didn't understand that that weight is what they had on the front of the arrow and i was like oh god like that's that's a lot but now here i am with something that's gonna be 340 grains on the front of my arrow and i'm like oh this is this is more than your almost more than your old arrows would weigh yes this i'm pretty sure that my very first like when i first started bow hunting it was some type of victory arrow 
uh, was uh, they were like they were less than 350 because I was only pulling like 60 pounds. So this system right here weighs as much as my first arrow, yeah. like with a, with a broadhead. <laughs> like let that sink in for a second. And I'm I'm holding up something that we're going to be talking about here in a minute for for those who, well, everyone can't see except us four. So, <laughs> uh, but um, but yeah, but I, I I like the way they talk about that because it all has to work together. And, and we're going to, we're going to talk more about that too. But, um, so, uh, ethics offers a lot of shit, man. Uh, so <laughs> I went yeah. and it's a, uh, a buddy of mine who, one of the ones I just introduced about hunting not too long ago, uh, called me up the other day and was like, I'm on ethics website. I don't know what to buy. And, uh, so I, you guys have a lot of stuff. So let's, let's, uh, you know, uh, run through, like the big categories that you offer uh, okay. and, and you, you can break it down however you want. I don't really care, but I know, I know there's, there's, uh, there's some stark differences between them. And I just want you to, to kind of highlight, uh, highlight those differences just so people have a better understanding of what they're, what they're looking at. Okay. So a lot of different categories. So I'll just kind of go over some, some bulk ones. So we have, we're known for, um, we started off with our spinning technology. So we have spinning inserts. Mm -hmm. We also have spinning target points. Okay. Um, I didn't even know you guys offered that. See? Oh yeah. (laughs) We, we do both hunting and target. So, um, yeah, we also have static. We, we call them static because we offer something that's spinning, right? So spinning, non-spinning, that's just kind of how we, we, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. we label everything. So we have spinning components, for both target and hunting. We also have static components for target and hunting. Um, as far as target points um, for virtually everything out there, um, everything we do except for the spinning stuff right now is fully adjustable. So you can actually cut weights off and, and tailor them to whatever weight that you want. Um, yeah, I love that. We have what I like to call more of like an OEM replacement. So we have something that looks like your stock component but it's, again, better tolerances, better quality materials, better built with quality and structural integrity in mind. And we have different levels of that. So then it goes up into, you know, we have our half outs. We have our, which is a static adjustable insert for something mm-hmm. like your smaller diameter stuff. Then we have outsert systems. Um, then we have weight washers. So if you just want to add 5, 10, or 15 grains instead of changing out a component, just kind of really tailor that dynamic spine yep. and, and the reaction of that arrow and, and get it perfect flight, you can do that with a 5, 10, or 15 grain weight washer that fits up perfect with our field points and our, our all of our components. Um, again, we also do field points. Uh, we do everything from 85 grains all the way up to 600 grains and everything in between. <laughs> Yeah, right. Those 600 grains for yeah. when you need to shoot a T-Rex. Exactly. Hey, you never know. They're they're trying to bring back the woolly mammoth and when they do and the hey. numbers get up there, I want to shoot one. I'm so, I'm so into <laughs> exactly. it, man. I'm right there with exactly. you. I'm right there with you. Hunting woolly mammoths. So, man, I I hope we can do it. Yeah, we got small game heads, you know, our um blunt force traumas. Um yeah. I'm currently I really wish you I really wish you would have named those guys after Carter. That would have been my favorite ever. <laughs> Garrett, did you see that when when the naming convention was going on? I did, but I couldn't remember what 
I don't oh, remember. God, it was so funny. We were trying oh, to name it after God. Carter, but Bruce wouldn't do it. No, no. <laughs> I wanted to. It's, it's okay. It's okay. I wanted to. But now, Blunt Force Trauma, I really like that one. Um, you know, again, being a, a veteran-owned company, and uh, it kind of goes along with that. Uh, we're also working on a broadhead. Um, so we're hoping oh, to come shit. up with that. Yeah. Um, I've been working on that for a while, man. We have. And um, it's it's not going to come out just yet. Um, still got some work to get done on it. Uh, we just want it to be right, you know. Um, sorry, Rob. Um, they're not when we do our, our broadheads, they're not going to be available to dealers. <laughs> That's okay. Hey, sorry, man. I'll, I'll, I'll manage. Only because we're not trying to get into the broadhead market. We just want, you know, I get calls, hundreds of calls a week, and it's always going over that perfect era build and trying to help guys build something for their setup. And it always ends on, okay, well, now we've got the arrow taken care of and the components. What do you recommend for a broadhead? Well, we wanted to be able to create something that, that we believe is just a good all around head and be able to offer that to our customers directly. And that's kind of why we're doing it. Um, are they going to be heavy? Uh, yeah, they are going to be heavy. Actually. I think the lowest, the lowest weight I think we're going to be shooting for is 150. So it'll be, there you go, Garrett. That's your weight. 150, 175. That's what you shoot, right? Uh, I shoot up to 200, but, Oh, do you? Oh, right. yeah. Yeah, we're we're gonna do a one. We're we're shooting for a one fifty adult builds. <laughs> I was just gonna say, if I see another damn hundred hundred twenty five grain head only, I'm gonna lose my shit. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna shoot for a lowest weight of one fifty. It may end up being a one seventy five, and then we're gonna go up from there. Um, I don't know if we're gonna go up into three hundreds or not. Um, it just kind of depends on how it goes. How yeah. it's received. Well, that, that that brings up a good point uh, that Gary inadvertently brought up, and, and something that I'd really like to get your two cents on, Bruce, since you're obviously you know a decent amount about steel and components and yep. weight and what you the amount of material you need to make something quality. Is there, from what I have found, like I have not found many hundred to one hundred and twenty five grain broadheads that I can recommend to people, because the fact of the matter is, no matter what kind of steel you want to use there's not enough of it there in that weight range for it to be uh for it to meet my satisfaction now th- there are a couple out there there's there's probably i'd say i think i can count them on one hand that i yeah would... probably less than five maybe yeah, maybe yeah. 10 in the 100 to 125 grain range that i'd be like yeah you should use this uh and now i mean yeah i'm i'm also when when i think of that like i'm thinking of stuff that's bigger than whitetail i guess i, I need yeah, to stop exactly. thinking of, like that way all the time because if you are shooting whitetail 100 and i mean obviously like 100 to 125 is plenty and and it shouldn't it shouldn't break on on whitetail bones uh uh if you if you have a decent arrow setup behind it uh but uh yeah but it would sp- speak to that a little bit if you can just and and understanding because you don't have very like well, I mean, for example, the stand. What, what is a standard insert way when you buy arrows from anybody? Twenty grains, twenty-five grains. They range anywhere uh, from about, as far as I know, from anywhere from about fourteen to about twenty-two, twenty-four grains. Yeah, twenty-two, right. twenty-three yeah. is some of the heavier ones. Yep. Yeah, the Victory offers the ones that are heavier, but 
They're about the only yeah, ones. and that's there are a couple yeah. of companies that have like a stainless option, Black or like Eagle a brass has like option. The bone crusher, it's like yeah, 55. that's like fifty, yeah. and then you got you know Victory has their hunter grain uh, stainless, and then you got um, you know like Easton Ooh, offers the like brass Randall. packages, but uh, yeah, uh, there are some other little options there. Those are typically upgrades, though. Yes. yes. Yeah. Well, yep. Yeah. No, it is an upgrade. It's a, a factory are, upgrade. Yeah. Correct. Factory upgrade. Uh, slight rabbit hole. Rob, have well, I oh, know you don't have the, you don't sell victory, but Bruce, have you I, I guys used to, seen? I mean, that's I dealt new, with them for years. The new one. The yeah, new the one new one victory? that. I don't think it's yeah. going to solve their problem, but I saw it the other day. I was like, huh. Well, this looks familiar. Well, I'm gonna but be it's, honest. It's all with one. You. It's all one piece, which is different from the ethics stuff. But oh yeah, yeah. No, I'm gonna be honest with you, man. Um, I have, I definitely have my own thoughts on it, just from an engineering standpoint when it comes to components. Um, because it may not be the most positive one, I'm probably gonna refrain from talking about it since I am a manufacturer. <laughs> that's <laughs> fair. Well, so, we will trash it later. Don't worry. <laughs> well, and that's. I guess my two cents um, from an end user standpoint and from my experience with the previous generation, um, I think that it'll be an improvement over what they had offered. Um, it's I got agree. more more shaft coverage. It I have not had one in my hands, but I think that. Uh, from what I saw, that it'll be a little bit less leverage on the front. They shortened it up a mm -hmm. tiny bit. So those uh, are both those are both pros. There's more shaft coverage, but they made the part that's the front part external. Longer, so. It made it longer. Oh, did they? Yeah, I yeah, thought they made them shorter. Okay, no, 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 so then that's a con. That so they, the longer that portion is in front of the shaft, the more leverage you have generated against right. the shaft. So, so they tried to I mean, solve yeah, guess, one problem, but then made it worse still. So yeah. So again, you I know, still, I just I still would say it would be an improvement, but oh yeah, it's uh, I guess not not to the level that I would have liked to see. Right. right. No, I, I agree with you, Rob. I think it's you know just my initial um, thought process when I saw it. Um, I definitely think it's going to be better than the shock option yeah. for sure. Yeah. Agreed. Um, again, uh, to speak any further, I, I, just being where I'm at in the industry, we, I, we do our best to try to not to talk any negatives at all versus anything else out there. Um, mm -hmm. From a, from an engineering standpoint, we can, we can actually dissect this thing and break it down, but uh, I'll leave that for everybody else to do. Yeah. Don't worry. Are, we'll get to it. They are trying. I mean, them and, you know, Black yeah. Eagle has they're, their, they're making their, progress. Their yeah, I mean, system, I'm going to be at least at the end of the day. Companies, they're yeah, like at the end of the day, they are still uh, they're an aero manufacturer. So, like right. you said yeah. before, yeah. they're yeah. the focus and on components. At least there's some companies that are starting to address some of this and yeah, trying, yeah. you know, making an effort to have some better options that are going to you know should be readily available in the majority of pro shops right because yeah. that's always the the kicker is i would say that at least 80 percent of the market is not going to buy something that isn't in their pro shop right, right. just exactly. because that's that's what's being recommended that's what's being shown that's what they know 
Mm-hmm. And so I'll take that as a win because the, yeah. the the more that guys like Bruce and Ethics push, you know, what they're doing, the more that some of these companies are going to start going, okay, we, we got to try and, you know, there, there's obviously a market here and now we should evaluate what we can do to try and, you know, kind of edge into it as, you know, factory option. Mm-hmm. So yep. it, it's, it's a, a circular, you know, win-win in my book. I'm glad you said Agreed. that, Rob, because honestly, and this isn't, you know, I'm not trying to stroke my own ego here or nothing like that, but you know, you see trends, especially within the industry. And ever since we started as a company of ethics, archery really started becoming more and more popular. I, I'm going to be honest, man. I, I feel like we started a fire um, because I think people are taking more notice now and they're starting to realize that there's better ways of doing that aspect of it. And the major arrow manufacturers are losing out on that. And I think that we're, we're starting to, to gain ground there. And mm-hmm. I, I really think that we started yep. a, a fire by coming out with our company and, and doing what we're doing. Well, yeah. and that's between, between you guys uh grizzly stick intentionally mm-hmm. trying to break into more of the whitetail market with the yep. lighter shaft and you know being able to get to you know sub to close to 500 grains if, if you want um valkyrie system you know mm-hmm. there, there's a handful of companies that have taken the knowledge that was there and started implementing it and I mean, this was stuff that people have known has worked in Africa and in BC and up in Alaska and all these places with big animals. They've, you know, this stuff, while it might not have been a popular option, it was a, a known setup, you know, type, uh, you know, setup parameters that worked. And. Yep. Finally, there's companies that are starting to address it and market it to the rest of the industry. And I mean, within the last five years, it's it's been a whirlwind. Of, there, there's been a, parada- a paradigm shift for sure. Yeah. Within, within and, and it, it's phenomenal. And I'm glad you actually right. mentioned that because, I mean, you have all these other companies, not just us, man. You know, you got to give credit where credit's due. And you've got other companies like Valkyrie. You've got the, you've got Dorge over there at Fire Knock. Yep. And you've got, you know, Grizzly Stick. And you, you've got these companies that are coming out and and offering better than, um, better than factory setups. And all it's doing is benefiting the industry. We're, we're all doing the same. We're all, we're all in the same mm-hmm. boat here. We're all trying to do the same thing in the long run. And we, we actually talked about this quite a bit, you know, and um, as far as, you know, the different companies that are doing this, you know, it's not, <laughs> I kind of get a, a kick out of the industry, man. It's, and it comes from consumers. It's not necessarily the industry. It's consumers. Mm-hmm. Like they like to pit these companies against each other, man. And what they don't realize is we all work together. It's yep. all behind the scenes. It's not talked about. We're all in it for the same thing, man. We're trying to better our sport. You know, we're trying to better our way of life and and the efficacy in which we treat the animals. And it all comes down to due diligence and our setups. And um, 
you know, th there are good companies, like, like I mentioned before, that are out there doing that, you know, and I think we're all in the same boat. We're all trying to do, accomplish the same goals. Yep. I totally agree. Uh, before, before I lose this thought, uh, uh, I, I just want to, uh, I want to circle back around to when you were rattling off all your components, yeah. uh, just because we talked for a second, the victory outsert that we were talking about is a true outsert. Correct. And, uh, and when most people think of outserts, they think of what victory offers, what right. I think black Eagle offers an outsert, uh, is that a, is literally an internal post on a new one. Oh, there. Oh yes. You're right. You're right. Yeah, you're right. Little right. Black Eagle uh, are a true outsert. Right. And a couple manufacturers still do make these, these quote unquote true outserts. And you right. said that you make outserts, but I want to, reinforce that. that these are not not the yeah clarify there you go that's yeah they're, they're, it's, that these are not the term... quote unquote true outs no 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 they're 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 an insert that has a small uh i, I guess at that point you could call it a half out and then, right. and then you have a sleeve that works with it so it, 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 explain that just so and maybe uh uh because this is uh, i think it's your i think it's your best option uh, uh that you guys offer personally uh, and, uh, Garrett had mentioned the, like the prep for those. So mm -hmm. if you want to talk about those for a second okay. and prepping an arrow for it, that yeah. would be great. Not I mean, because I am going to be running some of these, uh, outsert kind of systems that we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. I, I, I probably need some, some personal recommendations yeah. on, on how to get all this prepped as well. Okay. So let me address the whole outsert term. So we do use the word outsert, but if you see on our, on our website and our products, it says outsert system. Okay. Um, we use the term outsert because that's what the industry is used to. Okay, and that sure. typically just pertains to the external footer that comes with the system because right. it is on the outside of the shaft. So our component system, our outsert system, comprises of an internal post and an external footer. The internal post acts as an internal footer as well because of the length and fitment. Okay, uh, and mm -hmm. then you have the added uh, component on the outside of being the footer. Um, again, we only just use the word, the term outsert because people are familiar. Um, so that's, that's the big difference. Okay. It is mm -hmm. a two part system, two completely different components that are designed to work together. Um, as far as prep now, I'm a big, big proponent on prepping. Okay. It's, you hear guys pulling components out all the time in targets or whatever. And I can tell you right now that 90% of that reason comes down to the lack of prep. Yep. Take agreed. your time. Um, don't rush it. So what I like to do, starting with the with dry fitting everything, you want to make every make sure everything's dry fitting correctly. Now, with our components, because we hone in on precision, right? And <clears throat> fitment is a very big key as to why our stuff is so durable. It definitely contributes to the durability. Right. Um, Garrett and I actually talked about this before we hit the record button. So in some of our shafts, like talking about the micros, right? You'll you'll fit one post and it, it'll fit in there. It presses in. You can turn it upside down. It won't fall out. Like it's got a nice good fit. And in the next arrow shaft, for some reason, it feels like you almost have to drive it in there, right? Pound it in. Right. Don't ever do that. <laughs> okay. The reason why that happens is because arrow shafts fluctuate both internal diameter and external diameter because it's made on a on the uh, 
I just had a brain fart. <laughs> the carbon's like pulled, right? Yeah, well, it's all pulled yep. and then it's wrapped. And um, you're going to have fluctuations. Now, with our components, if your internal diameter fluctuates a half a thousandth or one thousandth, it's not going in. And if, if it does, it's going to be really tough. So instead of forcing it in there, you want to take a drill bit or a, uh, I use on uh, like a micro, I'll use a 22 caliber bore brush, put it in a drill. Mm -hmm. And run it in in and out of that shaft full length as long as far as far as you can get it in there. And you're actually gonna run that at full speed. And that's gonna take that half a thousandth out, which is typically the coating. So all these arrows now have coating on them to help pull easier from targets, that sort of thing. Well, well, that they're submerged. So that coating is inside as well, which can change the ID of the shaft. It also mm -hmm. changes the OD. So that stuff is made to be a slick surface for easy removal from targets. Well, if you don't score the inside of that and get to the carbon, your glue adhere, right? is not going to adhere the way it should. Yep. So make sure you do that regardless whether it fits tight or not, whatever. Make sure you're scoring the inside of that shaft with a bore brush because it's going to give a good, good hold for that. But before you glue them, after you've dry fitted everything, take... Denatured alcohol, acetone, you can use whatever you got as far as a cleaning solution. Um, there's many of them out there that are actually specifically for that, that you can buy. Um, use Q-tips and clean, clean, clean. Um, me personally, I mean, Rob might be different because, you know, when you run in a pro shop, you can't really take an hour to do that. But with me, I want to be able to run that Q-tip in there. When I pull it out, it looks like I didn't even put it in there. Right. Yeah. Get it no, and clean. that's, that's uh, pretty normal for me is I'll, mm -hmm. I'll run through all of the shafts in whatever batch I'm putting together. And, yeah. you know, they're all going to come out dirty. And then I'll start again and I'll wipe them all down again. And typically, you know, the second time through, you're you're pretty well clean. If there's something that I'm yeah. I'm noticing, then I'll I'll do it a third time. But yeah, yeah. You, especially when you're scoring the the inside of the shaft, mm -hmm. you're creating even more, uh, you know, uh, loose particles that you want to remove because any of those loose particles that are in the grooves in the shaft are what the glue is going to adhere to. And now it's not yeah. actually bonding to the shaft itself. It's, a, it's bonding to those loose particles. So that's the cleaner that you, the, the better prep you do, the better the system as a whole is going to function. Absolutely. And what a lot of people don't realize, like with our stuff, we recommend super glue, right? We don't re recommend epoxy, nothing like that. We, we just recommend super glue. You can use whatever you want. Um, but when you're choosing any type of CA glue, whether it's impact resistant or not, um, which is what we recommend. If you have a bunch of dust particles in there and once that glue hardens, those dust particles are now embedded in that glue surface and it creates a fracture point so when you hit something hard and you get that hard impact that's where it's going to crack from and it's going to cause a glue failure so the cleaner you get that shaft the better it's going to perform mm -hmm. yeah and uh so make sure you dry fit everything and then clean 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 can't cannot you know say that enough yep so okay so you have an outsert from from you guys uh -huh. do you 
Uh, okay, so you're going to clean the inside, yep. but then your outsert right. is typically it's set to run tight. Yes. Uh, so now don't, and at this point you're supposed to sand to fit, right? Correct. Correct. It was designed okay. for fitment. Fitment is one of the reasons, again, like Rob said, we're trying to fix the issues in the, in the industry, right? Right. Most factory components, when they come, they, they kind of overshoot it a little bit because of those fluctuations in carbon. So right. you'll get a lot of components that have a lot of wiggle room. You can just slides on the shaft, you turn it upside down, it'll fall off. If it falls off the shaft, it's too loose. Because what will happen on a hard impact, especially on angular impact, um, on anything hard, whether it be bone, whatever you happen to hit, you know, your neighbor's car, whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That'd be me. Yeah. Um, fence post, whatever. Um, it ends up creating a pinch point and all of that energy is transferred. It moves and it is now pinching and going into the carbon shaft itself, which is what causes most of your, your shaft failures. A lot of guys that have had this issue, you know, you shoot into something, hit a deer in the shoulder or whatever, and it breaks off right behind the insert. That's why it's breaking off right there is because there was a gap most likely, and it caused that pinch point and all that energy went into the sidewall of the shaft. So we've yep. designed our stuff to sand to fit. So some arrows, it fits perfect, no problem. Majority of arrows, you are going to have to sand. So, you know, I, I have a video on YouTube. You can actually look it up. It's called Ethics Archery Installation. And I go through a step-by-step right. -step process and showing you how to do that effectively. And it's going to be the quickest way and the most effective way to do it, most accurate way. Um, cool. And you just take your time. Some guys want to rush it. Don't <clears throat> rush it, man. Take your time. Yep. Sand it a little bit. Test fit. And then repeat that yep. process until you get that perfect press fit. Yep. And for those who have never, I've, I've seen it a couple, a uh, couple dozen shafts uh, building some stuff from Valkyrie. Uh, you can literally take a drill, chuck in the knock end of your arrow into the drill mm -hmm. And just take a either a uh, you know the paper sandpaper or the uh, more of the, like the sponge type, and literally just get around that first like inch or so. And I mean, you don't have to do it much. Like just give it a couple couple quick squeezes and beep beep beep, and and you'll you'll take off a decent chunk if you've got any kind of pressure on it. And it's really and if you do it that way, you do it evenly, so you're not yeah. creating like some weird like wave yeah. in the carbon uh, and and you'll have more consistency that way as well. So uh, it's it's not too difficult. So okay. So if I am, uh, I've I've test fitted, I've dry fitted everything. Everything fits. Yep. Do I glue the insert in first, and then from the back end run the sleeve all the way up? Uh, okay. Or or well, no, I guess you wouldn't. You wouldn't yeah. do that. So not with our system. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, let me yeah, let me preface yeah. this this okay before you if you, if you are in a situation where you have to sand that shaft mm -hmm. i recommend cutting it to the length and squaring both ends don't forget to square yes yeah install your your internal post go ahead and glue yeah. it in there okay mm -hmm. because if you don't and you go to sand it without that in there you're going to end up bullnosing or rounding off that edge and you just took the square right out of it you don't want that gotcha. so glue that in right. first then sand once that's done and you've dry fitted everything, the sleeve fits the way it's supposed to, take the sleeve off, and then take your isopropyl alcohol and wipe down that shaft. Get all those particles yep. and all that stuff yep. clean too. 
then w- wipe down the in, post as well. Yeah, wipe everything down, and <laughs> then um, put your sleeve on, and you have a choice. So if you sanded it properly to where you should be able to turn that arrow upside down without a field pointer broadhead on after it's pressed onto the shaft, it shouldn't fall off. If it doesn't fall off, you don't have to glue it if you don't want to. Me personally, I don't because I do a lot of practicing at at long ranges, like 120 yards. And if I get back and I punch a trigger at 120, there's a chance I'm going to miss that target, hit my backstop. And then my arrow's stuck in a piece of wood or whatever you got back there. Right. At that point, you can pull your field point off, pull your sleeve off, pull your arrow out. You're good to go. So that's why I personally do, I take my time with the, with the fitment on that so that I have mm-hmm. that option. And I don't have to chance breaking my arrow or bending it because I'm trying to wiggle it out of there and wrench on it. Um, if you're one of those guys that just wants to make sure that nothing's going to move, by all means, go ahead and glue it. But see, I don't use super glue on that. I like to use cool melt. Um, I don't ever recommend hot melt because it's too much heat on the carbon shaft and you can actually damage right. the carbon. But if you yep, use cool yep. melt, you can put that around the outside of that shaft and you can be pretty liberal with it. Get it on there. And when you go to put your sleeve on, just keep spinning that thing until it gets seated. Immediately get a field pointer or broadhead, cinch it down, make sure it's locked in, peel away right. your excess. That way, if you do have to take it off, you can heat up a cup of water in your microwave and dip the front end of that in there. That's enough heat to get that to break, let loose. break loose and you can pull that off and do what you got to do to it. Cool. Okay. So it's, it's personal preference. Now, let's say you went a little overzealous, right? You sand a little too much. As long as you only have one or two thousandths difference and there's no side-to-side movement, but it still kind of mm-hmm. slips off the shaft, you're fine. Go ahead and glue it, and, you're, and everything will be fine. Yep. Yep. Cool. Good to know. Yeah, just looking at the looking at the outsert, I was kind of curious on how that would work, and, uh, you know, we'll... Uh, well, I guess I'll I'll find out here pretty quick. Yeah. Um. Uh. So, so I know. <clears throat> I I guess we'll, we'll hit this last like quote unquote question, and then we'll we'll dive into all the the real fun things we're going to talk about. Yeah. Um. I know that I have. Uh. I understand the value. Rob understands the value. Garrett understands the value. But uh, it's. I, I when I have helped people or tried to help people. Uh, build more quality arrows with better components, uh, whether that's inserts, broadheads, whatever. It's tough to tell someone, okay, you bought those arrows. Now you're going to throw away what the arrow came with. And now you're going to go spend another 30, 40, 45 bucks on these inserts because they're better. Right. And, and these, you spending this $30, $40 on inserts is going to save you $200 later when you don't have to replace all your shafts next year because they broke. Yeah. Uh, So I, I I want, I guess I'm going to put this on you to try, try and explain it uh, better than I can because I I just, I like, I don't know. It's better. Like this is what you need. Uh, You don't, you don't want the stock stuff. So uh, So how how I like to justify that to people is this. And there's a couple of different ways I do it. It just kind of depends on who I'm talking to. I actually just ran into this issue the other day, uh, yesterday, actually. Um, I actually have a customer of ours who happens to be on staff as well. Uh, he calls me up. He's an outfitter. 
and a very high-end outfitter out of Colorado. And uh, he's got a customer who's coming in in September to do an elk hunt. Okay. He's been shooting mm-hmm. archery a couple years, so he's still very new. Trying to justify this to him is the exact situation we're talking about here. And here's right. how I explained it to him. You're spending upwards of $10,000 to come out and shoot a trophy animal of a lifetime, right? He says, yeah. Okay. You went out and spent 1500 bucks on your bow, give or take. You went and got the latest and greatest sight. That cost you three, 400 bucks. You got your stabilizer set up. That's another couple hundred bucks. You get your rest. That's another hundred, hundred, between a hundred and $200. You got your quiver, right? Who knows what kind of quiver he's running. You got all this money plus the $10,000 you're spending. You're going to get out there with a, with a factory build. And the chance you're, t- I'm not saying this is going to happen. Regular factory builds kill stuff all day long, every year. There's no question. Yep. But you're putting all of that money, all of that time, all of that anticipation for the year-long preparation. And you're going to shoot that 320-inch bull or 380-inch bull. He's going to step out at 40 yards. You're going to shoot him. What's going to happen if, if you're two years into it or 30 years into it, but you've got this giant trophy of a lifetime standing in front of you? I don't care how good you think you are. Adrenaline's going to start rushing. Yep. And you're Things gonna, happen. And you're going to hit Garrett. that trigger. Okay? And if you happen to hit something hard, like a bone of some sort, whether you dead center rib bone or hit a shoulder, something, a less than opportune shot, and that animal runs off with a with a, with three inches of penetration and a snapped arrow, okay. Yep. At that moment in time, try to put yourself in that moment. Is is forty five bucks? Would you pull forty five dollars out of your wallet right then and there to have that animal laying dead on the ground? Yep. I think every last one of us yep. will. There's only one answer. Yeah. So yeah. why not? If you, if you say that? no, you're lying. Exactly. So yeah, that's exactly. what we're doing. Is you're you're pre, it's preventative. You're giving yourself the best opportunity you can possibly give before you step in the field. Because once the arrow is gone, man, there ain't no taking it back. There's no do overs. Exactly. So why would if you if you would be willing at that point to pull forty five bucks out of your wallet and say, "Hey, that animal's going to be dead if you give me forty five bucks," then why would yeah, you do it's it kind now? of like that's how I treat my hunting. Mm-hmm. As far as like, I have the I follow the saying of if you shoot it on the last day, shoot it on the first day. I shoot. So, I'd say the same thing. If you, I yeah, never pass thing. on the first day what I'd be happy with on the last day. Exactly. <laughs> never. So and it's the usually same if thing something in is in front of me. Yeah, something's in front of me and legal. I'm sending it. Yep. And it's it's the same thing in preparation when you build. Because the only... As hunters, the hunt doesn't start when you put boots on the ground the day, opening day. That's not when the hunt starts. The hunt starts right. six months prior ends. when you've purchased the bow, the arrow set up, all of, the, all of your gear you're going to take. That's when the hunt starts. And there's so many variables that we have control over as hunters, right? There's only so many. And the ones that we have control over, we should definitely take that opportunity to do our due diligence and analyze everything to the nth degree to purchase the best thing that we can possibly find to do our builds with. Because once you send the arrow, man, 
That's it. You can, you no longer have any more control and yep. you can't control what the animal's going to do. You don't know how that adrenaline's going to affect you in, until you're there in the moment. So why not prepare for the worst? And if you have that opportunity that if that's one thing that you can take that variable out or at least reduce that variable, why wouldn't you? Garrett, uh, you can technical you, difficulties. Yeah. Go ahead and wade into that rant again if you want to. Uh, yeah. So uh, what we were talking about before is just that, um, you know, everybody talks about preparation. Like we were just talking about preparation with arrows and everything, but everybody also really needs to practice more like, and Rob said it when we weren't recording, but like actual practice, like there's shooting and then there's practice. So you need to focus on like when I shoot, I know when a shot is bad and I try to figure out what I did that was bad and fix it on the next shot as opposed to like just shooting. It's just like, Oh, I'm just putting arrows down range. It's like, but are you focusing on your shot sequence? Are you doing all this stuff? Cause that's a lot more important than any arrow that you can throw down range. Um, I mean, yeah, the arrow also helps, but exactly. if you can't shoot it well, then it really doesn't matter at all. Well, and that's, that's even that just you... having a, a shot sequence. Yeah. Well, that I don't too. know how many people that don't have a shot sequence. Yeah, they have no idea and, like, what their process is. And then when you're, you know, shooting, you know, evaluating what's happening. If if a shot goes low, what happened? Oh, I I I, I must have dropped my arm a little bit, or yeah. you know, if it went left to right, okay, was I canting or did I peek? And and focusing on what you are doing and what you're in control of right to improve that's practicing is meant to improve not just to repeat right yeah like i know a lot of guys like even when i lived in ohio like a lot of guys love shooting spots because they're like well it shows that you're consistent i'm like okay but i hate shooting spots it's boring as hell so instead of shooting spots, what I do to focus on my shot sequence and make sure that I'm being consistent is I'll shoot 80, 90 yards. I'll stand there and I'll shoot 50 arrows. And I know as soon as that bow or arrow leaves my bow that I did something wrong. It's like, nope, drop my hand on that one or drop my arm or yep. peaked or whatever. As soon as you let it go, you know that you messed up. Yeah. Whereas right. on spots, like, yeah, you know you missed your spot, but it's so close, like you don't really have time to evaluate what you did. Like well, that, do, that's one reason I, I'm a big advocate for, um, longer range practice. Yeah. Because all those little things show themselves. Yep. Yep. And it's stuff that you will never notice at 10, 20, 30 yards. Even for when you get out to, to 70, 80, 90, 100, 120, whatever you can reach out to and stay on target if you focus on that max range and practice with the intention of shrinking your groups you are going to learn so yeah. much about what you are doing and what your you know what your body is doing during that shot process and then when you pull up on a on a 20 or a 30 yard shot on an animal there's no question yeah it's yeah you're not thinking about what do i need to do here you pull back and everything's automatic and 
the only thought is it's dead. When I do coaching, I do something very similar. So let's say I'm going to do a coaching session with somebody and uh, it's going to be an hour long, right? We spend the first 35 to 40 minutes out at their maximum distance. So let's say somebody's sets their own effective hunting range at 40 yards, right? We're going to shoot at 80. Yep. Yep. And they're going to do that for the first 35 to 40 minutes. And the reason why I do that is just to get their form correct. Cause once they start bringing their groups in, start getting consistent, it doesn't matter if it's in the center of the target, it just having groups, right? If they can get groups and they can, they can focus enough to do that. When we get back down to 20, 30, 40, it's so much more repeatable and a little bit easier and the groups are tighter. And I try to tell them too. So I want you to pay attention to everything that you're doing at 80 yards. How does the shot feel? What are you concentrating on? Right? Because I don't care if you're shooting at 80 yards or if you're shooting at 20 yards, the shot is exactly the same. Exactly. Nothing changes. So why is it that you're, you, you settle in and you get all comfortable at 20 and then at 80, you start to freak out. Or vice versa. Some guys, they concentrate and they're able to kind of calm down and really concentrate on the shot at 80 because they go, oh, well, if I'm off a little bit, I'm going to have to go find an arrow, right? So they tend to slow down a little bit and pay attention to what they're doing. I'm like, okay, well, why can't you do that at 20? Because it's the same shot. It is. Yeah, I see. So, I mean, definitely get out there and practice, man. You, you got to practice. I see a lot of guys, too, like I know plenty of them are used to, like they've fixed their issues since then, but like guys that can shoot spots all day long and they kick my ass and then they'd go hunting and either whiff or just make a bad shot in general just because they lose their shit as soon as an animal gets in front of them you know well, and that's part of that thing that i was talking about earlier there's certain aspects of this of hunting that you can't control yeah and adrenaline is one of them yeah you don't know how that's gonna react or you don't know how your body's gonna react to that Especially like Which is when I... one of the reasons. Well, that's one of the reasons why a good practice, quality practice, is so important because then you create a muscle memory, and your body just kind of goes through the motions subconsciously while you're sitting there freaking out because the because the adrenaline, and that can actually increase your odds quite significantly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. When I when I said white tail hunting was boring earlier, it's because like, you know, I grew up doing it, and then I got to the point where it was automatic for me. If a deer was in front of me, that the only thought was it's dead. Yep. 40 yards was, you know, not my max, but that's where like, I never shot a deer over 40 yards, but if it's anywhere within that 40 yards, it's dead. Like there's nothing they can do about it. Yeah. It's going to die. And to me, it just got boring. Like there wasn't much excitement in it left. Yeah. It's like, okay, well that one's dead. The one the next day is dead. I'm bored. Yeah. And then you moved out west, and then I moved out west, and now I'm a lot more <laughs> humble in my hunting. Yeah, it's a whole different ball game. Like, oh. it? <laughs> it's like, oh, I have to call this thing into me and then not screw it up. This is fun. All right. <laughs> How do you think I feel, man? I <laughs> right? mean, it's I I can get him there, but here's the other question, man. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but I'm not exactly a small guy. <laughs> right? It doesn't matter what camo I wear; I don't blend into anything. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So you got that extra factor in there that makes it even tougher. You know what I mean? Um, But these are all things you got to figure out how to, to, how to overcome. And here's the thing. A lot of guys, you know, they watch the TV shows that, you know, all they're showing is good stuff, man. You got to keep that in mind. 
Yep. You know how many animals those people either missed or wounded that they're not showing you? And I don't care how many of them tell you otherwise. It's BS. If you're hunt with a bow, you're going to wound animals. We try not to, but it's going to happen. Um, you're going to miss. You're going to have a lot more quote-unquote failures as, as far as shots are concerned than you are successful ones. And the only way to do that is experience and time. It's, yeah. it's not going to happen overnight. You know, you've got to get used to it and eventually it'll come. And, you know, especially when it comes to hunting, I think one of the biggest things I like to really stress to people, the difference between gun hunting and and bow hunting. When you're a bow hunter, man, you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable and be able to perform with your bow. So keep that in mind for sure. Another another thing back to the practice aspect, I think, is that guys need to start practicing shooting in very uncomfortable positions. Yeah, and make sure it's that funny. you can I get your the guys to elk hunt. Oh God, some of the oh man, I love getting the Midwest guys <laughs> that come out to go elk hunting. Man, they stand there perfectly straight up and down. You know, yeah, just like, hey, level you, ground, you can't do and that. they want to they want to practice <laughs> at that. And I'm like, hey, dude, uh, why don't you shoot from your knees? He's like, why? I'm like, because you're going to take a lot of shots on your knees. Yeah. How about shoot from your knees or ground? put one foot on this bucket and shoot? Yep, exactly. Uh, because you're on the mountain, man. There are no flat spots. No. <laughs> no flat spots on the mountain, bro. <laughs> and make that changes sure that your you form. Know, yeah, make sure that you know that, like, one of the biggest things with guys hunting out of a tree stand is that it, they don't bend at the waist, like, shooting yep. up or down. Yep. Uh, yeah. Well, and that's gotta, the big thing is disconnecting – your upper and lower body, so to speak. Yeah. Where you're, you, you always focus on maintaining that, that T that, that natural alignment so that your, your, you know, the relationship to your eye and your peep doesn't change and, and all of that doesn't change. And so then you're, you're accounting for the uneven ground, the, you know, whatever angle that, you know, the ground is through your legs and your hips mm-hmm. and understanding that and being comfortable in, in, and stable while one leg's bent and the other one isn't. And your, you know, your waist might be bent at one angle and, <laughs> you know, it, it can be challenging depending on the situation. Yeah. I shot a coyote a couple of weeks ago, or I guess it's like a month ago now, but I was like, not, we were out trying to find some sheep, uh, but couldn't find the sheep, but a coyote came running around. So called it in and I was literally sitting on my butt twisted all like almost completely around backwards, but my feet were still out in front of me. Oh, that's a tough shot. And that was how I had to shoot at it. I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> that's, I guess I'm just going to send kind it. Of a tough shot. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's an awkward shot. Didn't so, didn't recover that damn thing. Killed it for sure, but couldn't find it. Those little bastards are tough. Yeah, and they'll they'll run a mile before you yeah. can find them too. That's the other problem. Thing was dumping blood everywhere, but yeah, still never found it. But yeah. yeah. Also, if you guys don't think all oh, the people listening, if you guys don't think that your bubble is important, go shoot out west <laughs> and then tell me yeah. that it's not important. <laughs> Oh yeah. Also, yeah. Learn, oh, the, the bubble on your site. Yeah. 
Learn gotcha. to trust that damn bubble because as long as you set up your site right and that bubble is not, you know, not off, trust that damn thing if you're hunting out west because it looks like you are definitely not holding that bow straight when you're shooting on a hill. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Well, because the trees are growing at an angle and everything else. Yeah. So. That's crazy. Uh, okay. So we're, we, we I, well, let me rephrase this. I want to have Bruce back on for some more 3d and coaching session stuff because, uh, I certainly don't do a ton of it, but I've been wanting to get into it. Uh, uh, but if we keep talking about it, it's going to be like a four hour podcast and then we're going to have to rename our podcast <laughs> to the Joe Rogan podcast. Uh, so, um, let's, let's jump into the, the real fun stuff. So we have, do we have three announcements? Is that, is that, do I have the right count? Technically? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the whole pr- premise was on the, on the component, the new one. Yeah. So we have, uh, we have three, three big announcements, uh, that uh, we'll be, uh, debuting here, I guess. Uh, we've yeah. kind of, it, 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 things have been alluded to and talked about, but, uh, I guess we're, we're letting the cat out of the bag, uh, right now. So I'll let you, uh, Bruce, I'll, I'll just let you, take it away i'm sure we'll have a couple of questions and you can start with whichever one you want to talk about all right so let's talk about the component first the new component so we're calling it the direct bond adapter and this is for a glue-on broadhead that has got the ethics archery spin on it so they are going to be fully adjustable um, they're going to have the same cut marks as we normally have on most of our other products. Um, we are going to be offering them in an aluminum post as well as a stainless option for the post. Um, paired up with those, we are going to have an, both an aluminum and stainless sleeve option for each one of those. So this is on the 244 stuff. We've also mm-hmm. extended that into your smaller diameters in your 203, 204s which is going to be like your rips, your um, kinetic chaoses, um, that Ramp- sort of rampages. thing. Yeah, rampages. Yeah. Um, and then we also went a step further for the first time that I know of, and we have those options as well for your micros, your 165 and 166 options. Um, what we've done to kind of make take an old concept of a glue-on head, which inherently is stronger than anything that you're going to have. You have let's say you had a, a cutthroat and that has the screw on, you know, like normally, like most broadheads out there that we're all used to. And then they also right. have that same broadhead and a glue-on. The glue-on option is going to be inherently stronger. The reason for that is because when you take and look at a broadhead. It comes down to the base of the broadhead that normally butts up to the end of your arrow or your component, right? There's a straight cut from, let's just say it's a 340 thousandths base, goes down to a 204. All broadheads have a 204, unless it's a deep six, but all your standard broadheads goes down to a 204, uh, 204 thousandths, and then goes into the threading from there. So that transition from 340 to 204 is where your weak point is at. If you're going to bend or break a broadhead, that's typically where it's most vulnerable. This eliminates that by gluing the broadhead onto the the post, which is typically at the base 
is going to be the same OD, if not a little bit bigger OD than the shaft itself. So there is no transition. You're getting rid of that inherent weak point. Um, we went ahead and beefed that up even more by giving 150 thousandths worth of spacing. So when you put that broadhead on, um, or like a like the glue on field point, and you put it in your arrow, you'll see that there's a the component actually extends from the carbon the same OD up to the base of where that broadhead is, about 150 thousandths. We then created a sleeve system. So typically with traditional archery, um, with these types of glue-on broadheads, when you were to use like an, um, an aluminum arrow shaft to foot your arrow shaft, it goes right to the end of the carbon. So all you're reinforcing is the carbon, but you still had that ability to shear the broadhead off because there was nothing really to... Um, yeah, you weren't reinforcing the joint. Yeah, you're not reinforcing right. the joint, just the carbon. Well, we've now made it to where you ha that actually goes past that joint up into or over top of the actual component itself, reinforcing the, the carbon and the component. Um, now, when you pair that with a tough head broadhead, specifically because they have a proprietary ferrule, that's a little bit bigger than the than most of the glue on broadheads out there. When you prepare mm -hmm. it, when you pair it with that, the tough head broadhead will actually extend over top of the sleeve portion. And now the broadhead itself is now sleeving or reinforcing the sleeve that's reinforcing <laughs> the arrow shaft and the component. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. We, we went a little overboard on this one, which I don't believe is a true factor when you're talking about preparation here. But um, we we believe here at Ethics Archery, and we've gotten a lot of people that have that have kind of concurred with this. But we're we're pretty confident in the fact that this is going to be the strongest component system uh, that the archery industry's ever seen, just because of the way it's built. <clears throat> so Bruce was kind enough to uh, because we knew. This is the one thing I knew about before we started chit-chatting today. Uh, Bruce was nice enough to send me a couple of these, and uh, I then shared it with Garrett and Rob. And I, I'm, I know I've got an aluminum post, and I'm pretty sure this is a stainless sleeve because uh, it's like forty something grains, mm -hmm. or maybe it's forty yep. grains. But uh, I am impressed to say the least. I am. I, I'm I'm going to be building uh, some arrows with this uh, uh, probably to hunt with this weekend for these meatheads and just putting them into the uh, putting it into the meathead broadhead. I I'm 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 just like holy crap. There's there's no way this thing will break ever. Uh, so I am uh, at least from from what I can say so far, this thing is going to be about as bomb proof as it gets so uh if you i mean if you're doing if you're hunting big critters and you want to go with a stainless post and a stainless sleeve and then a, a really nice quality rod head on there on the front i don't think you are going to have any issues because this thing is going to be an absolute yeah. tank so uh yeah i'm i'm excited about this to say the least yeah we we spent quite a bit of time um you know, we paired we paired up with uh, Tough Head, and uh, you know, he wanted us to create or recreate the components that he already had, 
and basically just use better materials and then what we're known for as far as quality and, and consistency and just kind of upgrade from there. And, you know, I, we don't do mediocre here. You know, we, we, we try to find a, re, a way to make it better. And uh, we talked him into letting us play with it and give it that ethics archery spin. And uh, three models later and three three changes later, this is what we came up with. And we're, we're pretty confident that this is um, this is going to be it right here. Yeah. Yep. Oh, this is this is going to be a hell of a system. And I think this is uh, I know even even guys that shoot compound. Uh, I think mm-hmm. Luan's is starting to make a make a comeback because people are realizing how much stronger they are than your typical screwed on uh broadheads uh not not to say that you can't make screwed on broadheads work because obviously that's what the majority of people use and they kill things just fine but uh, uh that that is on any screw and broadhead uh any quality one anyway the screws are definitely the weak point so uh or the threading i should say is definitely the weak point so uh this is uh this should alleviate that i would guess uh, yeah well, <laughs> uh, it definitely will yeah, <laughs> and you know, know, and here's the thing: this is just that one step further in preparation. So for those guys that really hone in on on durability, um, not wanting that system to fail on that moment of truth, um, this is that one step further that you can take in that preparation and give you that much more confidence in taking those shots. Yeah, you know, and it's going to save yeah. you money in the long run because your stuff's just going to last longer. Yep. Yeah, I sure will. So it's <laughs> definitely, we're, we're very, very proud of this, you know, fit and finish on these turned out fantastic. Um, I'm sure in the future, you know, um, as these, as we play with them um, over time, that's just what we do. We always try to better our products. So if, if there's a way for us to do it, we'll do it. But on, I'm going to be honest, man, it's, it, it's going to be a tough one how to figure out how to make these ones better. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. I'm, I'm just looking at it. Initial impressions. I don't know. I don't know what else you could do, but good luck. If you think you can. Yeah. Uh, all right. So that's uh that's number, definitely that's, a system that I'm, I'm looking forward to playing with. Yeah. And all that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Like I said, I think, I think this is going to set the trad world on fire just because, there, I mean, there are other gluon component manufacturers, but I don't think there's a system like this. Like, it's, it's just hard to explain because I have some other gluon components from some very well-known manufacturers, like, right here. And just, like, looking at how they fit and how everything works together in this, it's not comparable. So, uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited. Okay, so that's number one. Uh what do you, what do you want to announce next, Bruce? All right. So now that we're we're talking a little bit more on the lines of trad here. So like I mentioned earlier, you know, ethics archery, we got our start and our roots are really grounded in traditional archery. Um I know I've alluded earlier, I think it was later uh last year, um kind of for the trad guys to kind of keep their eyes open. Um we started as a bow manufacturer and never actually left off the ground with it. Well, we're bringing it back. Um, Ethics Archery here in the very near future, within 60 to 90 days is our, is our guess. Um, we will be releasing our handmade in-house lineup of trad bows. 
all custom made, custom carved. Um, yeah, they're they're a pretty sight. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I've seen I've seen a couple pictures, uh, and yeah, they, they are, are gorgeous, beautiful. Yes, yeah. indeed. And those are all going to be made in house. These are all one hundred percent ethics surgery. Again, one hundred percent American made, veteran owned. Um, uh, Jerome Gazowski is the builder. Um, he does guitars and stuff like that. He's been doing bows and guitars, custom made, handmade for, I don't know, 15, 20 years. I mean, he's been doing it a long time. Um, he's taken, I couldn't even tell you, begin to tell you how many animals he's taken both here and abroad, like in Africa, um, all with his own his own custom bow. So, I mean, these, this isn't something that he's just like, Oh, well, I'm going to make a bow and put it out. These are this design that he's been using for many years has been proven in the field. Yeah. That's a, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped to see him. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I'll have to convince the wife that I need another, I need another bow. Uh, but, uh, I'm, <laughs> that's always I'm, the I'm, challenge, I'm, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Exactly. But I am, I'm excited to, uh, see other people shoot them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I really, I really want one, uh, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But no, I, I do, I do want to, I, I do want to kind of venture out with some different trad bows. So I'll probably, at least beg and plead you for you to send me a demo model or something so I can mess around with it yeah. or have you send me yours. Yeah. yeah Cause well, you know, maybe you I'll just make a trip out there and you can shoot mine. How about that? Yeah, that, that works. There you go. Yeah, we got, we got stuff. Indiana's not that far. Well, I travel for a living, so I, I, I get all over the place. That's true. So. That's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I frequent, uh, well, basically the lower 48. I can pretty much be, be anywhere at any given time. I I've been doing that for quite a few years now. So yeah, we'll definitely link up yep, and you guys yep. will be able to put your hands on them for sure. Oh, I definitely want to, um, a- anything else to say? Oh, they're going to be, uh, um, it's all going to be takedown stuff, right? Yes. It's all takedown stuff. It's going to um, be interchangeable between longbow and recurve limbs. That's correct. Yep. And the limbs are being oh, made so in house as well. So everything is 100% made from us. And it's cool because if you order it, let's say with a 29 inch draw and, and 40 pounds and you shoot that for a while and you say, Hey, you know, I want to do an extra half inch or I want to get a 50 pound bow now. Um, you can actually order mm-hmm. those limbs from us in the future and have those limbs built and sent to you. And they bolt right back on there. Dope. Yep. That's going to be cool. Okay. So. Well, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to pretend to act, uh, surprised on this last one. Uh, but I, if I, I wish, I wish we would have been recording when we first talked about it because, uh, literally my jaw hit the floor, uh, with, over this last announcement. So with that, yeah. Bruce, I will, I will give you the floor. Alrighty. So. First off, I'm going to thank Rob for this one because him and I had a conversation before we really pursued anything. And basically he gave me the, the contact number and was like, dude, you got nothing to lose. You know, yeah. just make the call. Yeah. So we did. Rob's a good guy. I don't care what you say about him. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I'll give credit where credit's due on that one. And um, so we made a phone call. And let me let me start by and preface with this. Too many quote unquote competitors in this industry are constantly being pitted against each other. One's better than the other, whatever, whatever the case may be. Right. 
I think that hurts the industry. And my main goal was to pair up with a company that had the same values and the same ideas in mind as far as that was concerned. And these guys definitely had that same exact, I mean, almost word for word. It's funny when we talk, it's almost like we're thinking from the same brain. Um, to show that two companies that can give credit where credit's due and acknowledge that, hey, we make a product, but you make it better, you know? And uh, we do the same thing. And you have to give that credit where it's due. So I made a phone call and talked to him today. And he said, yep, let's let the world know that it's coming. It's a go. So as of today, it is official that Ethics Archery will be making not only a stainless steel option, but the new direct bond adapter will also be available for grizzly stick shafts. Yes. Oh yeah. yeah, you can you can just keep you can just keep saying it if you want <laughs> yeah. to because it just makes me That's so right. happy hearing that. There's going to be a <laughs> a partnership between Grizzly Stick, which even in my opinion and has been for a long time, is probably the toughest shaft you're going to buy on the market. Um, yep, agreed. And now we're pairing it with the toughest component system available on the market to make an ultimate build. We're taking what was maybe not perfect in the industry, right? And we're making it perfect. There, In my opinion, there couldn't have been a better, a better correlation between two companies working together. And yeah, these are not going to be just sold through, um, everything's going to be sold through Grizzly Stick, right? This is not just going to be a, a Grizzly Stick option. We are actually working together on this 100%. This is going to be an ethics archery option upgrade for the grizzly stick at the time of purchase directly through them and bruce can you just expand on what uh that system is going to be yeah so it's going to be a our our current outsert system two-piece system that has the internal and external footer and the option is going to be all stainless steel so it's going to be made to fit the grizzly stick and we'll go into that here in a second um but that's going to be a total uncut. If you do not trim it down with the stainless sleeve and everything, um, is going to be 250 grains. Ooh, nice. Gracious so this, me. Yeah. So this is, and it's adjustable. Oh, yeah. So you can adjust it down, but that's going to yeah. be the max weight. So this still allows you to use the lighter shafts and still make 650 grains with a 200 grain head. Yeah. Yep, and and I'm sure that that was a goal that they they wanted to be able to hit. Absolutely, that was the main goal, and because we think so much alike, we've already got the design um, and the weight options that we're going to end up with. Put it right there, right where it needed to be. Mm -hmm. And then, if you want to go a step further. You can get the new direct bond system and all stainless steel, which is also 250 grains. This is going to be out of control. Yeah. I mean, it's, there, there is no better. There, there really isn't. You're taking the two companies that focus more so and have more options for the higher mass weight, higher FOC type builds. The two main companies in the industry that are doing this 
and we're making one beautiful baby out of it. I think it is indeed a beautiful baby. We've been asked quite a bit to make it. And, um, you know, we really wanted to work with them on this. And uh, it it literally couldn't have gone any better. Yeah. No, I, I'm, yeah. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly with that first part that you said that, uh, you know, that these manufacturers are kind of, uh, well, the, the industry, the crowds on the sideline are pitting these manufacturers against each other. Uh, when really, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like, and this is probably a biased opinion, but I don't care, uh, that the quote unquote, like heavier arrow, better component, better broadhead, uh, um, companies are probably more tight knit in this movement and like Mm -hmm. embrace competitiveness because they know that they offer a better product than 95% of the market. And they're willing to say, yeah, I'm, I'm in the top 5%. And these are the, these are the people that I consider my competitors, but Mm -hmm. we are, we like my competitors and I are still rowing the boat in the same direction and we Mm -hmm. all still want the same thing. Uh, So I think uh, that's, if you've listened to any of the podcasts, any of the interviews with some of the owners of these other companies, at some point in the interview, there, there tends to be a very similar message Yep. where, you know, they're, they're on there talking about why they're doing what they're doing, not necessarily specifically about their own product. They're, they're talking about why they're recommending heavier weight, why they're recommending tougher broadheads, tougher components, tougher shafts. And, they're talking about wanting to improve the lethality of the bow hunting uh, family. You know, the all of us that are are going out into the field with a stick and a string of some some form, and wanting us to improve our success. So that's why we started this thing in the first place? That's. Exactly. And I mean, that's the driving force behind a lot of these guys is, is that premise. And it's, it's a different feeling than some of the uh, more hyped up industry, uh, industry standard uh, brands where you know these guys aren't heavy marketing and heavy pro staff and heavy uh flash you know that's i i love when when garrett with grizzly stick is talking and he'll just god post another hmm. cape buffalo <laughs> yeah, just like, nonchalant like that, that. that's yeah. that's the marketing <laughs> that that's the marketing oh yeah post another elephant yeah you know, it, it, if it works, it works. Yeah. And they're ha- happy when, when you know, their customers are seeing that it works. Yeah. And, and the thing is, you know, when we originally had this conversation, you know, I told them exactly what I thought. You know, Grizzly Stick, when you take their factory arrow shaft, their factory component as a system, 
and you pit it against any other factory aeroshaft or component on the market, they're sitting in the yeah. top spot. They really are, even with their factory component. But they have the same kind of mentality that we do at Ethics Archery. Does it work? Yes, works great. Can we make it better? Exactly. And that's where we came in. And it was like, okay, you guys have something that's proven it works. Let's pair them together. It's not saying that their component doesn't work. Right. It works fine. But if you want to have that, just that one little upgrade, what do you do? No, I th- well, now we have a solution. Yep. I think this... And if you're already spending 500 bucks on arrows, what's another 50? Oh, yeah. you don't have to spend $500 on them. <laughs> Everyone always that's, exaggerates that's with, that. That's, that's uh, with broadheads. That's with broadheads. And 12. Yeah, for oh, a whole dozen. You're going to run the yeah. system. Run the system. But here's the thing. Yeah. Though, again, it, it comes back to, you know, you, maybe you've got a guy that's getting ready to go over to Africa and shoot that Cape Buffalo, right? Yep. He's 20 grand deep. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. Okay, so why would you not spend an extra three or four hundred dollars on the ultimate build and just having that in the back of your mind, knowing that you couldn't have built anything better? You're taking the ultimate setup. If something happens, you've done your due diligence. There was nothing else you could have done. Yep. At twenty, when you're spending twenty grand plus travel, four hundred bucks is nothing. Yeah. You know, no. and I'm not saying that's what it costs. I'm just saying, you know, as, as a as a reference number, but why not do the best? And then you got some guys that are like, oh, well, I'm just killing whitetails. Well, wait a minute. If I, I don't understand that, that comment from a lot of people, I'm just, I'm just going after a whitetail. So you're putting more value on another animal versus a whitetail. Why? Only because you have more access to it. What about guys like me where I grew up? I don't have whitetails to shoot. I got mule deer. Yep. Yeah. You know how excited I was to finally get a chance to shoot a whitetail? My first whitetail deer was a doe. I'm pretty sure she didn't have any spots left. <laughs> you Ooh, shot you shot okay. the spots off of her, right? <laughs> I might have shot the only spot there was. <laughs> but you know what? I didn't care. It was a legal deer. And I've never Arizona, you cannot shoot a doe of any kind anywhere ever. Really? Yeah, man. No. Shooting does out west is no tough. Does. That's tough work. You're not doing it. It's it's not allowed. You get so one you antler shoot... deer per calendar year. Yeah, you can shoot. Uh, I guess that is like yeah. I did talk shit about whitetail a little bit, but that's the one thing I do miss about whitetail hunting is that I could shoot four, five, six deer a year. Yeah, you can't do that out west. So when I got a chance to come no. out here, I was like, holy crap! Like I. Could the little one walked in, it was a doe. And I'm like, not really thinking much of it. And I'm like, wait a minute, I can shoot that. <laughs> never shot a doe yep, before. That was a trophy, man. Yeah. I'd never shot yeah. one before. Oh yeah. You know, it's, it was almost taboo, man. I felt dirty afterwards <laughs> a little bit, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it, it's, it's I not feel weird that. now. And here's another thing that I, I, I don't, I don't know if it really, it does kind of pertain, but here's another thing. I want you, maybe you guys can explain this to me and make some sense. Cause I can't make sense of it. So we, we, we start talking about these heavier builds, right? Like a grizzly stick build. And especially online or with some of these other, other folks that are used to shooting like light, light arrows, right? You tell them like me, I took a 606 grain arrow after a 
after turkeys. That was one of my lighter lighter builds that I have. And you tell these guys that, and they always have some sort of re, uh, of response that goes along the lines of, what are you shooting, rhinos? Right? Yeah. Nope. Definitely going to need Overkill. a heavier arrow than that. Okay, so let me ask you this. Let's break down that response for a second, because I was thinking about this. So what you're telling me is you've just acknowledged that in your in your opinion, in your thought process, my 600 grain arrow is sufficient to get ethical penetration on a rhinoceros. Okay. Which why is would you not shoot that at? Why, which is questionable. I'm not saying that it is sufficient, <laughs> but that's in their, mind. in their mind. They think that that's for the sake of argument. Yeah. For, no, I, I, I mind, understood. They think that, oh, well, that's the kind of arrow you'd shoot at a big, big animal like a rhino, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if you think that it works on a rhino, then why would you not think that it would work on a deer? I, I don't, I don't get that. That's a good question. Well, I, there's one part of this that that always kind of gets me a little bit is the thought of overkill in archery. I don't think that exists. Exactly. Exist. And that's if you're talking firearms, right? You're looking at the hydrostatic shock of the round impacting the animal and causing damage to the surrounding tissues. Yeah. Right. right. And that's meat loss. Yeah. So I'm not going to take a 50 BMG and shoot a whitetail. Right. Because yeah. there's not going to be anything left. Right. But if I take a 300 grain arrow and I take a thousand grain arrow and I shoot same it in the hole. exact same spot, clean hit, no bone, it just slips through. If the broadhead's the same, the exact same amount of damage was done. Yep. Right? Yep. Now, at that point, there is no additional damage or loss of meat. There's no da- additional damage to the hide if you're wanting the hide. And so what I'm gaining by shooting a heavier arrow, you know, not saying a thousand grain, but you know, whatever your heavier arrow is, whether it's 500, 600, whatever, you're gaining the benefits for that. What if, right. Or what a lot of people don't think about is that the, the level of penetration needed for a broadside shot is much different than a quartering to or a quartering away shot. Absolutely. Because if I want that arrow to exit so that it's not clogging the wound channel and causing uh, clotting and applying pressure to that wound, I want that arrow to leave. It's a lot longer to go, you know, diagonally through an animal than it is to go across. Yep. So now that comes into to play that, okay, well, depending on what shot you're taking, you might need more penetration. Yep. And like personally, I, I mean, I'm tweaking on other guys' setups all the time. I don't have time and I don't want to have multiple arrow setups where it's just enough. Yeah. Right? Right. So I have one arrow build for hunting. Yeah. 
and that one arrow build, I would be confident to hunt anything that is on the table for me. And and with the the different friends that I have in the different areas, I mean, granted, Texas is kind of a you know a variety plate of anything that you want to kill, um, and you know between that and Alaska and you know, some of the other places that I have friends that if I have some vacation time, I could potentially go and visit. That's covering anything in North America and a lot of exotic stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm going to use that on a turkey just the same as I'm going to use it on something big. Yeah. The only thing I would shoot with your setup is maybe an elephant, a hippo, a rhino, well, I mean, it. I'm I'm shooting 950 with 27 percent FOC. Okay, so, so that build, while <laughs> I wouldn't, I mean, personally, if I was going after hippo or elephant, I'd be shooting 1250. Yeah. Um, and that would simply be a matter of I have enough spine in the shafts that I have. It'd simply be a matter of adding some brass. Yeah. Um, but that's, I mean, for cape for i mean and even for hippo or rhino or elephant or giraffe 950 is a solid number for a lot of those still get it done yeah oh yeah and so it's i mean granted i have some advantages where i mean i still have a ton of range with that with that arrow so i'm not as concerned with some of that but that's where I, I tell people as heavy as you're comfortable yep. and comfort is dependent on the person and dependent on your skill level and dependent on your form and all these other things. And so until you actually try it, you don't know. Yeah. I just, it, it just irritates me that people are like, well, I want to use the bare minimum. And then that same guy's bitching because he didn't get ethical penetration or he hit a bone. He wasn't expecting to hit and the animal ran off wounded. And that same guy you just had a conversation with three months before when he was building the damn thing considered what we were recommending to him as overkill. Well, yep. yeah, again, here comes well, hindsight. And that's exactly. And that's where I, I tend to relate it to insurance. Yeah. Right. It's not that you're going to need it necessarily, but if you do, you're going to wish that you had it. I'd rather have right? it. It's like that fire extinguisher or your seatbelt. You know, for for me personally, that that's having a, a sidearm. It's, do I necessarily need it? No, but if I do need it, I want it. Yep. It's, I'd rather have it and not need it, but need it and not have it. Exactly. And so it's finding the level of insurance that you're comfortable with and then running it, you know. And, and for those guys that understand that with this with this correlation between the two companies, now you can get a one-stop shop for the best you're going to find. Yeah. And that's, yeah. I mean, some guys, you know, just without even trying it, look at you know the the high grade aluminum post on the grizzly stick and and they you know question a little bit personally i i haven't 
seen an issue and I've abused these things a ton. And I mean, I've been dealing yeah. with grizzly stick for close to six years and can it break? Yeah. Everything can break. Um, yeah. but if they're questioning that and they go, you know what? I've always used stainless. I, I like stainless. I trust it. And it's that mental aspect. Well, perfect. Here you go. You got a stainless option, you know? And so I, I think that it's just the best of both worlds where, you know, if depending on what you're wanting to do, if, if you're needing a specific amount of weight for your application, where you'll need uh, additional brass, then maybe the the stock grizzly stick is the is the the best option. Regardless, if you're looking at a total weight that hits within what the new system can provide, now it's a now it's a, a preference you know a preferential choice. Um, it's just it's covering all the bases. And again, at ethics, you know, like we talked about how many products we have, right? I think we're, I think we're over 280 or 290 products now. Different Gee, options, wait. different SKUs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we can service Lots over 1,500 shafts. Yeah, we can service <laughs> over 1,500 shafts. And um, it, it's pretty crazy what we have. And it's not about, it's just options, man. Because there's always something out there that somebody's been like, well, I wish somebody made this. Well, guess what? We're going to make it. If we only sell 10 of them, we only sell 10 of them, but at least it's an option. And with the Grizzly Stick now, at least there's an option there. Some guys are either going to want it or some guys are going to need it. Either way, it's there now. And yep. that's all it's for. Yeah, and that's. I think that it shows a great collaboration between, you know, between some top-tier companies and – you know, I, I love seeing that. I mean, like the, the work that you're doing with Toughhead, the work that you're now doing with Grizzly Stick, yep. you know, that's what I like to see. And it's, you know, something that I wish would happen more often in the industry because there's just so much infighting. And like you mentioned earlier, the general public, does not understand what's actually happening in the background in a lot of those situations. Right. You know, it's, they don't realize we all talk. They like <laughs> exactly. It's everyone knows everyone. It's, it's a small community. It, it, when you look at the big picture of it. Yeah. You start and talking it's, it's, to people. You know, sorry. Go ahead, Bruce. No, go ahead. Uh, no, I was going to say, you start talking to people about, you know, that most carbon shafts for arrows are made in like, two, three places. And they're like, what? No, they're not. Everybody's different. It's like, no, they're not. But you can think that. No, it's just different. It's, it's like different, different recipes. Right. Different processes, <laughs> but they're all made in one or two places. Yeah, so. it's, there's only a few places where, it's, where the carbon shafts are actually made. It's a handful. Yeah. I want to say it's probably, see, four, five, six. Right. I know maybe seven total different facilities that actually make carbon shafts and then each company has you know they, they design their own as far as process you know with the resins they have a different resin compound they have different types mm -hmm. of carbon um you know there's so many different aspects and, and so many different combinations to make their proprietary aero shaft but it's all being made from the same companies um 
So it's, you know, a lot of people don't realize that. Um, but I, I think this is going to be, I hope that we can start to set an example for the rest of the industry to say, hey, look, let's start giving credit where credit's due. Okay. Stop with the me, me, me thing. And let's just create products and options for the industry that's going to help better the industry. Because, I mean, let's just take it and break it down. I mean, we have anti-hunters that have been trying to stop us from, from hunting for years, and they're, going to not, and they're not going to stop, right? And why? They all want to claim animal cruelty. You know why a lot of that comes up? How many thousands of pictures and conversations over Facebook do we hear every year is, I wounded a deer, I wounded a deer, right? So you exactly. start building better products, more lethal products, right? And, and cutting those wound loss numbers down, we're taking their ammunition away from us. And now all that's going to do is allow for more people to start accepting hunting and getting into it because they realize it's not cruel, you know, and, and we can be very ethical when we do this. There's so many different benefits that can come from it. And so I'm hoping that this is big enough to show the rest of the companies in this industry, hey, look, let's start partnering up with each other. Let's start promoting each other and come together to build a, a superior product. I'm not saying your product's bad and you're not saying mine's bad, but together it's better. That's all there is to it. Sure. Yeah. We need more. I'm that. all about that. Yeah. That's, that's a hard part with, well, I mean, let's be honest that the archery industry is mostly male dominated. Mostly. So there's a lot of egos that go into that. Oh, so it's yeah. going to be like, it's like, no, here's, this doesn't make it better because what I designed is the best. It's like, well, then why are people putting my stuff on your arrow? It, exactly. Hmm. Exactly. And, and, and why have that animosity? Right. Right. It's like, and I don't, I'm not mad at you for making a shaft. Like, don't be mad that, at me. Imagine how much better those companies would be if they purchase that product from the company that everybody's buying from and putting on their shaft anyways and yep. selling it to them from the get-go. Yep. Everybody everybody profits from it, not only on business aspect of it, but the customer knows that that company has gone to that extra mile to make sure that when they purchase from them, they're getting a superior product, the best product that they can possibly give them. And they don't have to go searching around. if they, you, know, you don't find that very often. And, you know, and, and this is becoming a trend. I mean, we've got a couple more arrow companies that are getting ready to come out on the market here this year um, that are starting an arrow company, and they're going to be using our stuff as a standard with their shaft. They're going that extra mile, and that's not something we've seen in the past. And it's becoming a more popular thing, and I think it's, I think it's great. I think that we're really catching on. And people are, you know, what you guys are doing with the podcast and what, you know, there's a lot of different podcasts out there. East Coast Bowhunting Podcast, um, you know, Working Class Bowhunter Podcast, um, all these different people that are, are finally using these platforms to get people to start thinking about it more. Because archery is a very intimate sport. Okay, I don't mean it sexually, but you have to be more intimate with your setup and with your gear and with every decision that you make to be successful, it just increases your odds of being successful. Yep. And it's almost a requirement with, with archery. So with, with your guys' platforms and stuff like that, it's getting people to start thinking outside the box and start getting more intimate with their setups. And that's what we need. And it's, and it's a growing trend. It's definitely going that direction. Yeah, I think yep. that, I think that a big thing with 
everything, like just the age of technology that we're in now, like there's so much more information available. Like, oh, yeah. Before Absolutely. the last, you know, five, 10 years, you just, you went to the pro shop, you listened to what that guy said. Turns out if it was a shitty pro shop, that guy got hired two weeks ago and all he's done is like went and went to a different pro shop and bought a bow and had that guy tell him what was best. And that's all he knows. But, you know, there are good ones out there. I, you know, I've worked at a good one, but uh, like the more and more, like with YouTube and Facebook and all these groups and everything, people are starting to figure out that there are like, you can figure this out for yourself and you can figure out what works and what doesn't. And that's, I think that's where the trend is coming from. And then you have, you know, all the tinkerers are like, well, we want this, but no one makes it. So then people start making it. Yep. Well, and that's the, the challenging part is with YouTube and Facebook and all these different platforms, you know, the podcasts, there's, there isn't an, an just abundant amount of information out there. The tricky part is finding accurate information because because of the response that's been happening, you have, you know, the guys that you just mentioned that really might not have a, a true technical understanding of what's happening, yeah. trying to utilize the platform to grow their business or yeah, to right. grow their marketing and are putting information out there that might not be really correct yeah. um i mean we see this a ton with tuning i mean you you look up how to tune a bow and you're gonna find 50 different things that all contradict each other right i mean you it's there's a lot of that but i think that in the last three to five years the cream has started rising to the top and people are starting to recognize the pattern of, you know, who is recommending, you know, these different factors and, and what to focus on and how to accomplish some of this stuff. And it's slowly picking up steam. I think like with, with, you know, all the information that is available, like it's getting harder and harder to bullshit people too. Yeah. Because more yeah. and more people so. are figuring, well, yeah, more and more people are figuring out like that guy at the archery shop's full of shit because what he said, like they tried it and it everything failed, or you know <laughs> yeah. they they found a good resource like with John Dudley or whatever on how to tune a bow, they found that and they tried that and that actually worked as a, and then they could look at how the other guy told them to do stuff and they're like well that's not even close to the same thing yep. why the hell would they want me to do that yeah. but like i think it's good yeah. but also bad because yeah that like information spreads you just got to wade through it and filter right. filter you know for for the new guys like they don't know exactly what to ignore and you know the Idiots exactly. Are, idiots are usually the loudest, which is annoying, but yes, they are. <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. Well, and that's that's honestly part of what got us to this point is I mean, if you go back 50, 60 years or further, 
there wasn't the level of communication, but there was a a primal understanding of what worked. Yeah. And that was purely based on feel, you know, this worked for, for my father and my grandfather and, and, you know, trace it all the way back to the beginnings of a bow and then marketing happened (laughs) (laughs) and, and what, sells for marketing it's flash it's catching people's attention it's you know that's no different than you know horsepower on a car it doesn't matter you know people that understand what they're trying to accomplish whether it's you know a drag race or a rally race or a you know a towing competition you understand that that number is just one factor in many but if you come out and say, oh, yeah, we've got an 800 horsepower car, that gains a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. And it'll only be later that they realize, oh, well, I can't actually put this yeah. to the ground. <laughs> like it, it's it's there, but it's not gaining me anything. And that's the same as like the speed race that, you know, started up how many years yeah. ago where it was a number that was flashy. It was a number that was relatable and people latched onto that and manufacturers are the same thing. Well, the, the industry is, it's a business you're trying to sell product. And so regardless of, of, you know, the underlying effects, you're looking at bottom line and looking at, protecting your business and making sure that it it stays relevant. And so it, as everyone responds, it feeds itself and you now are, instead of focusing on, you know, what was previously the, the, you know, key points now it's, you know, this is the fastest thing out there. You know, we're hitting these speeds and we're doing this and you, you slowly lose the fact that part of it is the arrow weight. Part of it is how we're, you know, how we're achieving those speeds, you know, going from the AMO standards to the IBO standards. And as people, you know, moved out of archery and retired and, you know, you lost a lot of that earlier tribal knowledge, and then it became standard and now that's all that was known and so now we're trying to fight and claw and and push some of that that original knowledge back into the picture i mean it's it's the same thing that's been there for years but now it seems new you know it's i don't know how many times i've had people go oh this is just a new fad no this this has been around for centuries yeah Millennials been, been around a lot longer than the speed stuff has. <laughs> exactly. We're we're just coming around full circle and going, yeah. hey, yeah. um, this still works. Mm-hmm. It works well. Yeah. Absolutely. Cosine yeah, there's... cosine everything. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's again, we get back to it, man. We got big things coming around, not just for ethics, but as a uh, as an industry, we have some big things happening. 
and I think this is just going to be, uh, I hope this is going to be a catalyst for what's to come. Yeah. Well, I think it is. Uh, Definitely you know, seems we, like it. We, uh, I know we talked about at the beginning of the show, but I, I, I truly do think that ethics has played a really big part in this, uh, in this shift that we've seen in the uh, archery and hunting industry of, of, uh, um, you know, bucking the trend of, uh, light fast arrows kill everything uh when th- th- there's just better ways to do it uh so i i I, cer- I certainly think that ethics has been a has been a driving force in that uh for sure and i know just from a uh um from a consumer standpoint i'm very uh very thankful that you guys have been there to to do that because I, you know, th- th- there are other companies that have contributed, but I don't think we would be as far as we are today uh, without you guys, because frankly, the components uh, make it so make it easy for guys to start to dip their toes in this without having to, uh, you know, fully commit to, uh, uh, to a quote unquote, like whole new setup. Yeah. Uh, just doing, just doing, you know, taking small, uh, steps to uh, to increase that uh, potential lethality of their of their yeah. arrows, and uh, I think it's worked out. I think it's working working fine. I think it's well, gonna, and that's it. it it's going to keep blowing up. And I, it you know, took we, it just, out of the Frankenstein realm, yeah, and you know made it accessible. Yeah, you yeah. don't have to. <clears throat> you know, it, it reduced the need of having to buy a specific brand arrow. If, if you like your arrow, great. You know, it, it, it might not, you know, it might have some, some downsides, whatever those may be, or it might be the best thing on the market, but you can now take that and improve it. And you don't have to, you know, I, I've shot this brand for years and I trust it and I like it, but I want to make it better. Done. Yep. You know, and that's that's the 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 big factor in my mind is the guys that that were already into this, that were, you know, never left it, they're tinkerers. They're they're they they Frankenstein and they figure out a way to make it happen. Yep. Right this made it accessible to the general public and to the guys that aren't of that mindset yeah. that aren't going to buy a bunch of different stuff and cut it up and, and, and make something out of it. Yeah. And that, that's the big factor in my mind for, you know, the, the impact that, that ethics has had. Yeah. You know, and I definitely, you know, we, we definitely appreciate hearing that because that's the goal, you know, that's, that's our ultimate goal is to bring the availability of options to people. And like you said, with the Frankensteining, man, we're doing the Frankensteining for you. Yep. Yeah. You're, you you're know, cutting out that, doing all that, you're cutting out that learning curve process of, yeah. and yeah. yeah, it's better at the end anyways, because you've already done it. Yeah. And again, you know, you know, we sit here and talk and, you know, obviously I'm pretty biased because, you know, where I'm at with this company um, on a personal level. Um, but as generality from Ethics Archery, you know, we, we want people to understand, you know, don't take what we say out of context and think that, oh, we feel like we're the end all be all, which we do. But that's not what the message we're trying to give out. You know, we still want to make improvements on everything that we make, man. 
Um, are, are there are there going to be bad parts that come out? It's it's manufacturing. We, we're not perfect. Nobody is. Yep. We're still going to have that. Oh, exactly. That, that that's just manufacturing. Yeah. But one thing we will guarantee, and Rob, you've actually had to deal with this before on, on a couple of occasions with us. We stand behind yeah. our products. We are going to make mistakes. And when we do, we will make it right. And we're going to do everything that we can to, to do so. And, um, you know, we, we've, we've had to do that with you. And it's it just is what it is. Well, and that's, I mean, in in my case, I mean, I'm seeing a lot more products than than really any general consumers going to i'm seeing more different batches of components and so the likelihood of me seeing something much greater is a lot higher i mean and the the bonus there and you know not saying anything against buying direct but the the bonus of of having someone that knows what they're doing. And this isn't just me. There's other places out there that do this is when I'm putting a build together for a customer, I'm checking everything. And so if something happened to slip through, then there's a 99% chance that I'm going to catch it. And then I'll make the call. I'll get it corrected. I'll I'll make sure that the product that goes out the door to the customer is correct. And then they, you know, not saying there aren't any wiser, but they don't have to deal right. with it. Right. And that's, I know for a fact that if it is a customer direct, they call you guys up and go, hey, like something doesn't seem right. And I know that you guys are going to correct it, but it's just one of those where if, you know, if you aren't someone that is comfortable double checking stuff or comfortable making those kind of phone calls, because some people just aren't, they'll just eat it and then be bitter about it. And that's why I wanted to bring Then have someone, have someone put it together because they, they're going to be checking it, you know, as long as it's a reputable place. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and we, we go through pretty extensive with any of our dealers that carry our stuff to make sure that they understand the product. And, you know, there's a learning curve even for them, but it's easier for them to do the learning curve and then take care of it for you. Um, And realistically, you know, we do map pricing, so they're going to come to you and get it for the same price. They're going to buy it from us for anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. So why not go to your local dealer? We want to support our local dealers. You know, yeah, we do talk about shops, not, you know, kind of half-assing things. And, but it's not every shop out there. Okay, guys. So don't get that. Yeah. Don't, don't yeah, get it sure. wrong when we talk about that. You know, definitely go to your local dealers. You know, we want to support the mom and pop shops because that's the backbone of this industry. It always has been. And we want to try to keep it that way. Um, exactly. That's why we don't deal with box stores and stuff like that. We want to deal with the mom and pop shops. And then you're getting a little bit more personable, um, you know, care and, and, and information. And you know that that person's been trained properly and they have the experience to do it, right? So definitely don't hesitate to go to those dealers. And if you have a dealer in the area that doesn't have it and you want it, let them know. Contact us. We'll, we'll, well take and care that's, of 
that's the biggest thing that I would say as far as pro shops go is if if you're not seeing the level of service or the the quality of components or options that you know you're looking for talk with them let them know what you're looking for let them know how you want things done and if if the the opportunity's there help them if you're in a position to to you know offer some some knowledge offer it i mean that's no different than you know when i really dove heavily into into all of this like six seven years ago where i ended up at at a local shop and like six months later i was helping them work on stuff in the evenings and then i was helping you know them bring heavier components in, bringing ethics in and bringing some different heavier broadheads in and was helping educate them on on some of these different platforms and now you know i'm not at that shop um on a daily basis anymore i'm still assisting you know as needed just because of the relationship that we have but they're still promoting those things they're still promoting ethics they're still promoting grizzly stick they're still talking guys into you know trying to be above a certain level for hunting shafts and trying to have a certain level of foc and understanding the tuning that goes in into that you know and so that's i'm not there on a daily basis anymore but that shop is still doing all the stuff that that i tried to convey and that's i'm nothing special in regard to that that can be you know any one of you guys listening if you have an understanding use it you know don't don't be rude about it but offer to explain it if they if they you know give the the stereotypical you know why would you ever shoot something that heavier oh that's why it's not tuning because there's so much weight up front help help educate them ask if if they want to walk through it with you and, and and actually see what's going on and then that shop can now become a resource instead of something that you laugh at, you know, when you're having drinks with your buddies, it it's, you know, help instead of just observe. I think that is like, that's an issue with a couple of the shops around me is that like, they don't know any better, but they're also being willfully ignorant. Yeah. Like I have gone into places and I'll try to talk to them. And and that's, I've taken my, you know, my Valkyrie setup in there for instance, to shoot out of a couple bows because I was in the market for a bow. And I explained to the guy what it was, explained to him, you know, it's this heavy, it's got this much weight up front, this is why, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, huh, that's pretty heavy. But, like, didn't give a shit yeah. about any of well, it. Like, it's also not going to break, which is the main reason why I built it this <laughs> way. But Yeah. But and like, that's not yeah. everyone is going to be receptive. No. And you have but to, just uh, honestly, you have to be cognizant 
of how the information is being received and willingly go, okay, yep, that that's fine. And not cause a stink about it. Just go, okay. Yeah, all right, that's fine. If if you you know if you run into questions down the road, reach out. Yeah, Yeah, and leave it. Right. You know. For sure. And if anybody out there listening, man, you know, and like like Rob said, some people don't like to make those bad, you know, those phone calls because they're having an issue or whatever. I'm going to tell you right now, when you call us, and I can't speak for anybody else, but when you call us. And you have any kind of a tech question, an issue of any kind, I'm the guy you're going to talk to. It's not somebody else on the end of the phone. It's 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 me, and uh, I definitely, definitely push people. Call us, good, bad, ugly. We want to hear it all. If you're having an issue, I will take the time to work work it out yep. with you and and make it right. Let's get it fixed. Let's get you understanding how things work, and you know, that's, that's just kind of the level of customer service that we want to offer. So if, if you have an issue, just make a phone call, man. It, it's, we don't, we don't look yeah, down exactly. on it whatsoever. Yep. Make that phone <laughs> call and the... listen to Bruce's ringback tone. It's my favorite yeah, part of calling Bruce. Not... <laughs> Bruce isn't lying either because I was supposed to call him last week and I was busy with work and then I got sick. So I just never called. So that's why I didn't call though, Bruce. My <laughs> <all> bad. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't cause I didn't want to talk to you. It's cause I was sick as it's shit and good. didn't want to talk to anybody. Well, you were actually, you were going to, and, uh, you, I was going to, Oh yeah, I, I, I was be, going I beat to, you to and it. Then I, Matt, I was like, yeah, I'm yeah. calling him right now. And you're like, Oh, I guess I'll wait. And then, then you got sick. Yeah. <laughs> well, then I was on my, I think I was on my way home, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I was driving. I'm like, ah, fuck. I'm driving. I shouldn't deal with that right now (laughs) yeah i was like oh i need to call him and then i figured out that well we figured out who was going to be on the podcast i was like oh i can just wait and talk to him once that happens yeah there you go yeah well i can i can certainly attest to uh if you if you have a question concerns comments uh bruce will definitely uh heed your uh, heed your responses and uh, and wants to wants to continue making improvements. So I know yeah, I've probably a, the last two years real I've concern. been. Yeah, sorry, man. Yeah, if they're real no, concern, I, like they'll fix it. That's the yeah, other good thing. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, like the last two yeah. years, like every time I've had like a random idea, I've just like messaged Bruce. I'm like, hey, here's an idea. Do with it what you want. And uh, I know he's always been receptive to my off the wall ideas, but. Uh, uh, yeah, I, oh, I yeah, there's there's definitely been a lot of conversations like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> and again, we're, we just we want to listen to everybody because here's the thing, man. You never know what somebody's background is, and even if they don't have a background in engineering or whatever, right? It doesn't have to be that. It's just they might have some epiphany that just comes up that's yep. off the wall, and you never know it yep. might work. Most certainly. Say a lot of a lot of harebrained ideas turned into things that that. changed a lot of things. So, yeah, 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 absolutely. So, yeah, if you guys have anything you want to see, you let us know. We'll do what we can. And if it's if if we're getting enough of a, you know, from a manufacturing standpoint, we can't just turn every idea or every request into a a tangible product. Oh yeah, it just doesn't work that way. But I will tell you this: if it's 
we, we do think about this stuff. We do take all of those calls and all of those ideas seriously. And um, again, it's, it's just trying to provide what people want. Yep. Well, speaking of seeing you know, things, uh, where can our listeners see your stuff? Instagram, Facebook, website, all that fun stuff. Plug, plug away. Okay, so you, yeah. So you can ethicsarchery.com, obviously. Um, if you send an email to us through the website, um, I get those directly. So I'll most likely be the one responding to those as well. Um, you can pretty much find my personal phone number everywhere. Um, I give it out very willingly. <laughs> um, I'm very, if you haven't noticed by this podcast, I can get very long winded. I'm very passionate about what we do here. Um, Aero building is kind of, I'm, I kind of geek out on it. So I, I like to educate people. It's just one of those things I've always liked to do. Um, I, I, I'm kind of a better teacher than I am a doer, which is usually the way it works. Um, <laughs> I always tell people prepare in advance. And then here I am three days before I hunt building arrows. Um, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it's so ethicsarchery.com. You can find me Bruce Ritter Clark on Facebook. Um, Instagram. I don't do a whole lot there yet. I'm still working on that. I'm not much of a high tech redneck, so I'm still figuring all that out, how to juggle it all. But uh, uh, you, you guys have a think. decent following on Instagram. I, th- I feel like I think. Yeah, we're going to be doing a lot better. But that's through Ethics Archery again, um, and then me personally is um, Big Hoss One, um, and then you know, get a hold of us if you send us a Facebook message on Facebook at ethics archery on Facebook. Um, those go directly to me as well. And you, you're going to get an automated response immediately. And that's going to give you our tech support number. That's my personal cell phone number. Hmm. So if you get that, just call it. How many phone um, calls a day do you get? Dude, it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, we're building. It's a, a good thing that you're driving and have a Bluetooth headset. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm always available, and I only sleep about four <laughs> hours a night, so I'm up at all hours. But um, oh, yeah. and it's funny because, I mean, it, you see the reactions of some of these guys. I mean, night shift guys like to hunt, too. Yeah, you know? yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's kind of funny because they'll send us a Facebook message at night thinking, okay, I'm going to – they'll see it in the morning, send me a message back, and I won't get it till the next night. And then it's just back and forth. And then all of a sudden they get a phone call from me at 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, (laughs) but you know, when you're building a business, this is what you have to do. This is the customer service that we want to offer. And as we grow too, you know, obviously we're going to get to the point where we need more employees and this and that, and there'll be people answering phones and whatever. But when it comes to a tech question, we're, we're very, we want to keep it that way. I'm still going to be the guy that you guys are going to talk to. So from small company to if we get real big, which is the goal, um, I'm still going to be the guy that you guys are going to talk to. And that's the way we want to keep it. Cool. So, Well, anything else, boys? I know this is going to be a record long podcast. I think uh, between session one and session two with the technical hiccup, we're going to be two and a half hours or so. Yeah. 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 Somewhere in that ballpark. It's all right. People need to listen to all of it because it was was all good. We dropped some bombs. Matt, you might want to. Yeah, in, no, I mean, want to insert we, a little bit in the beginning that tells people to listen to the whole damn thing. 
Yeah, yeah no, I certainly will. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening still at this point, two and a half hours in, you are our favorite listeners. Right? Just just so you guys know. Absolutely. Uh, but anything else, guys? Carrot, Rob? I don't think so. No, I, I right. covered pretty much everything. Bruce, anything else? It's uh, definitely appreciate oh, you yeah. coming oh, yeah, on, sure. Bruce. Absolutely. Yeah, be- any, anything else you want to drop on us, Bruce? Any other bombs? Oh, don't really have any other bombs just yet, but uh, we're, again, we're, That's we're working on the broadhead. I get asked about that all the time. We are working on it. Uh, just know yeah. that when we do release it, we feel that it was done right. And if it's not, yeah. let us know and we'll fix it. <laughs> well, if you don't come on here to announce it, I'm going to be mad. Now we so. can definitely make that happen, I won't force you to do that. Anytime you guys want to do a do. podcast, man, you just let me know. We'll we'll get her done. No, I I certainly want to have you back on for some uh for some like 3D coaching oh, sure. and just like shot sequence stuff because I am incredibly ignorant on it. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm very knowledgeable as far as as knowing what to do. Now uh, executing mm-hmm. that, um, yeah, not so much. <laughs> uh, I have issues myself. It's, it's just do. a work in yeah, progress. Okay. Yeah, we, we all do, and you know, honestly, that's my favorite thing about archery, man. Is you're never going to master this. Yep. This art, you'll never do it. Yep. It's not possible. It's not humanly possible. And so I'm constantly learning every day. I definitely don't claim to know everything. Um, but what I do know, I'm very eager to share and help anybody any way I can. So if you guys want to do a podcast on that, I'm definitely willing to share what I do know. And we can definitely go from there. And the good oh. thing is where I'm at in this industry and with the people that we have that are part of this part of this company and the team, um, I can tell you this. If there's an answer I don't know, I can find out from some of the best people in this industry. So Yep, yep. <laughs> absolutely we'll have you back on soon so yeah cool all right Thanks well thank you yeah, oh, dude thank you thank you so much for coming on for real this has been uh yeah. it's been a great episode and uh hope hope people listen to the whole thing because there were some big things there towards the end that gonna shake up the industry <laughs> quite a bit through all the excitement yeah, that's right yeah excitement two hours into our uh our podcast cool <laughs> all right well if you're if you're still listening <laughs> thanks for hanging out and uh uh thanks for listening uh give us good reviews because we need them uh and well not really we're actually doing really well uh, we're, we have way more good reviews than i thought we would uh so yeah uh thanks everyone once again for listening thanks again bruce for coming on and uh have you back soon and everyone stay lethal and don't forget the olive oil